0: everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the Min Max Show podcast. I'm Ben Hanson, joined by Jeff Marquiafava. Hello. His friends call him Jeffem. Uh, we're joined by Surreal Vasquez. My friends also call me Jeff. It's really confusing. Yeah, and yeah. we're joined by Kyle Hilliard. Hello. No one calls me Jeffem. People, you're lucky if people call you anything, buddy. Uh, we're here to celebrate the metroid franchise that is what this episode of the podcast is all about a big old metroid retrospective uh in i don't know to help train to help prepare for metroid dread coming out surprisingly soon i guess in october um then we have the surprise release of axiom verge 2 this week and surprise number two is cereal's been playing a little bit of it yes Surreal? Yep, I have. Great. We'll talk about all that fun stuff, and then back half of the show, we're gonna be joined by Janet Garcia, fellow cohort. We're gonna answer a bunch of community questions that people submitted over on Patreon, uh, and just you know, classic reminder. I feel like every once in a while you gotta reset things. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, if you want a convenient version of this podcast, it's free. You can subscribe to the MinMax Show podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can leave a review. This goes for everybody. We'd appreciate that. Uh, Share your honest thoughts on the show. Um, And if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast app, in your favorite podcast app, and you want to watch the video version, uh, you can go over and subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash minmax with two N's. We appreciate it. All right. Metroid, everybody. Metroid Dread's coming up. And uh, you start to look back on the Metroid franchise, the Metroid series going back to uh, 1986, I suppose. Uh, cause it's the 35th anniversary Nintendo had a couple tweets celebrating it, giving it the old <laughs> hurrah, not quite the Mario treatment, but they're out there saying huzzah. Kyle, I was thinking about it on my bike ride this morning and I was thinking, God, Metroid is odd for a thousand different reasons. One of them is like, what other story has Nintendo been telling for 35 years? Obviously the series has taken breaks, way too many breaks for hardcore fans to want, But it's just wild to think about the fact that they're trying to, like, supposedly wrap up this narrative uh, with Metroid Dread. Like, is there any comparison in Nintendo's backlog for a continuous kind of sort of
1: story here? I mean, like, because the sort of the quick answer in your head is like, oh, well, Zelda. But like all that sort of continuity of it is sort of retroactive, I think. I don't think they started trying to pull everything together until much later. You know, and even that's totally secondary. You know what I mean? They really, it's not a continuous story unless you're a nerd like me and you dig into that kind of stuff. But yeah, I don't, it's not like Mario has a consistent narrative or anything. That's a good question. Yeah, I think it's the only one that they've really sort of taken the story seriously. Like you know, Fire Emblem, I guess, but
0: even more so than that, Mm, you know, for actually trying to tie these things together with this is two, this is three. I
2: feel like... I want to say it's a little closer to Final Fantasy with Fire Emblem where it's kind of, it's not necessarily like a different scenario completely every time, but it feels like a lot of um, sequential stories that just happen to be set in the same world versus like, oh yeah, like this Fire Emblem references events from the previous games or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah. How Uh, about Kid Icarus? Was that 3DS game a continuation of the Kid Icarus story? (laughs) <laughs> that's a I
0: think it was I'm trying to even remember that, what that's like
1: three games right NES game Game Boy game 3DS game yeah. right right okay so that's the competition I guess
3: yeah that's that's the key Easy. to a long running continuous <laughs>
0: And everybody story. should know Jeff Lund is quite high. high. he yeah, too funny. He
3: can't, he can't handle these quips that are coming in so <laughs> yeah, hot. I, I was going to say, the the key to a long-running continuous story is just only do, like, one and then wait 30 years and then do another one. And, and then you're a genius.
0: Yep, that's right. So uh, it, it makes running. a line. That's it. I mean, it, it
2: helps when none of them are, like, you know, wh- when the overarching story is... Uh, Samus is a bounty hunter. She found one man. Like, it, there's one, it's a very small story uh all told
0: they're not getting too far up their own butt there's hints of that that i think we can unpack as we kind of go through the games here um but not not there's not full-on time travel it's not the complexity of a lore you'd expect 35 years into a franchise at this point but yeah talking about like metroid's place nintendo's gamography overall like obviously the hardcore fans are always screaming give it a bigger budget make it a real game make us a new one well, make us a new one that's not on the 3DS, like a real new one. So many things to want with the yeah, make franchise. Make us a
1: new one and maybe maybe we'll buy it. We'll think really hard about playing
0: it. <laughs> right, right. Um, but like looking at the franchise sales, it's like, okay, where it lands really helps put in perspective probably how Nintendo sees this franchise overall. Where like series sales, it's at around 18 million as per last count, which is like below the Luigi's Mansion series below the Wario series, below Yoshi. And, like, you know, this is hardly fair, but, you know, Duck Hunt has sold 28 million copies (laughs) compared to the entire series of Metroid. Is that A2? But I understand that's working. I know, I know. But, like, even zooming in on probably, arguably the best uh, Metroid game, Super Metroid, that's only 1.4 million copies on the original Super Nintendo. And compare that to, I understand, gaming has ballooned in a big way. When you look at Metopia, the port on Switch, which I enjoyed playing, but in terms of cultural impact, felt like a zero that when it came out a couple months ago. Uh, that sold 1.1 million copies on Switch, and that's I think <laughs> physical only. Uh, so just to put things in perspective of like the impact of Super Metroid, but obviously it's been available so many different ways afterwards that people are still yeah, jumping in and playing like, it.
3: Metroid must be the biggest. Franchise, in terms of having the largest impact on things and itself not being that commercially successful, like you think of all the Metroidvania games that have and the entire design philosophy that has you know branched out from that one game or those first couple games, and yet a million and a half copies of Super Metroid that's ridiculous. Yeah, and I'm sure I didn't have the NES sales, but I'm sure that's up there as well.
1: So there's this quote about that I always think about with Metroid uh, related to the band, the Velvet Underground. (laughs) And it was like some producer said it, where he said, the Velvet Underground didn't sell many records, but everyone who bought one went out and started a band. And I kind of feel like that's what happens with Metroid. It's like not it hasn't sold a ton, but everyone who like really got into it and played it has been impactful. It's been super impactful for them. And a lot of them went on to make their own Metroid style games, you know? Yeah. Now, I have a very naive question
0: for you, Kyle. Please forgive me for this naive question. Yeah.
1: But even, you know, reading a bunch of interviews about the development of the first Metroid
0: and Super Metroid, I mean, they reference with the development of the first Metroid that like, oh, we were kind of taking that idea of needing items to get to new areas instead of like a temporary thing, making it more of a permanent thing. We kind of are taking that from Zelda. And I understand these games are very different. I mean, perspective wise, everything like that. But do you think that when it comes to the Metroid classic formula that we don't pay attention enough to like well that's basically zelda's formula right
1: yeah i mean in my sort of light research like looking reading it's like wikipedia entry and stuff um they they, i read that the game was supposed to be a combination of mario's jumping and zelda's non-linear exploration right? right which is like honestly something i never really considered so i kind of think you're right like yeah maybe we don't sort of attribute we we also we always kind of attribute it to metroid but maybe zelda does need a little more credit there i know it it, it, they're more of it's more of a combination of mario and zelda than i've ever really considered
0: yeah yeah and going through uh the history (laughs) like reading old developer interviews with the original metroid it's so funny because it's like that classic thing i'm sure a large part of it's the translation and just reading the text version of this but it's always like what are you guys talking about? But it's just these obvious things that I love that the developers see in Metroid that no one else sees. So talking about the origins here, uh, I'm, I apologize for all the Japanese names I read on this episode, but uh, Kiyotake says, as we we're working on Metroid, uh, the Super Mario Brothers boom hit. So we wanted to make something that had what Super Mario Brothers didn't have. As a simple example, you know how Mario slides a little before stopping? We tried to make it, this one, a dead halt. It's like, that's like the big innovative move is (laughs) like no sliding when you stop. Okay, sure. And then obviously it's like, okay, and you're focusing on attacking instead of avoiding enemies like Mario.
1: I love that idea too, which is like, I feel like is pretty dead in sort of entertainment media across the board these days of like the Mario boom hit. So we wanted to do something different. The normal reaction would be the Mario boom hit. So we want to make our own Mario or make a different take on Mario. I guess it's different when it's internal. But, like, that's not a... That, you don't hear that anymore. You don't hear, like, that thing's really popular, so we're going to do something different. <laughs> yeah, we
2: can't yeah. do that. We can't emulate well, success.
3: That yeah. kind of ties into what I came across in, in a couple of these retrospectives, which is that Gunpei Yokoi was the producer of yeah. the first Metroid. And he was a big guy in Nintendo as well. and kind of the father of the Game couple, Boy and
0: all that stuff, yeah.
3: Yep, yeah. And he, before, before making the Game Boy, he had a couple like modest hits with like ice climbers and a an excite bike and stuff like that. And so it, it at least this one retrospective that I read made it seem like there was a bit of a rivalry there and that he kind of, he had some feelings about how successful Miyamoto had become. And he kind of, he wanted to make his own franchise that was as successful as Mario, but doing it in his own way as opposed to, you know, that kind of idea of like... Well, this, you know, this guy who was my former, I was his former mentor is really successful now. So I'm just going to copy him. It, it at least kind of seemed like there was a bit of a rivalry there and that, you know, he wanted to prove that he could do it himself.
0: Yeah, I wonder, that seems like too convenient of a narrative of mm-hmm. like these two were, were butting heads. You know, the, the apprentice had become the master and he resented it. Um, I think Gunpa Yokoi, I believe he wrote a book. God, forgive me if I'm wrong. Forgive me, please. Um, but I don't know if it's been localized. Uh, talking about his time. So I'm curious how many quotes are actually coming from him for that overall idea. But um, yeah, uh, jeff what is your history with Metroid? Did you play the first one?
3: I did play the first one. I was a little, I was a little baby boy. Yeah, what do time. you remember about hmm. it? Um. Well, I remembered, and it also kind of fit into this convenient narrative of the fact that it was completely different from anything else that I had played or anything that I expected from Nintendo at the time. There was like this really different, moody atmosphere to it. It felt more mature. It, you know, like the the world was more immersive, which we kind of use all the time. But it, that that idea of going through this. One big world, and you know, going back to different places and unlocking new areas like that was all really mind blowing at the time. I I had more Super Metroid was kind of the one that I played more of because I had a Super Nintendo. We kind of only rented Metroid a couple times. We were allowed to rent an NES, but yeah, those. I mean, that's something that even when I When I boot up Super Metroid now, like, I still feel it. I feel that atmosphere. I still get the same kind of goosebumps that I had as a kid. Yeah, and I was thinking so much about this. Like, obviously, Metroid
0: owes so much to the Alien franchise. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, Ridley's
1: name, all that stuff, even the way they name planets. And it's like, is this... By by the way, I googled, um, does Ridley Scott know about Metroid? (laughs) Has he ever (laughs) talked about Metroid? Because it is... Like, that's they named Ridley after him, after the director right. of Alien. Right, right. And uh, as far as I can tell, he's never been asked about it. He's got a new movie coming out pretty soon, so I'm hoping maybe he'll do some, uh, you know, uh, what is it called? Uh, press junkets. Yes. I hope someone asks him if he knows who Ridley is, the the monster from the Metroid games. I would love to see his reaction. I'm looking question.
0: forward to him spitting on a reporter's face because
1: it seems like that would be the last <laughs> thing Ridley Scott would ever be aware of or want to talk about.
0: You, uh,
2: you excited about Metroid Dread?
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's how talk. did you feel when they announced Ridley for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate? Was that was that exciting for you? The thing I'm oh, still conf- I wanted Geno.
0: <laughs> I'm still confused <laughs> about the basic idea, and I was trying to Google, but Ripley and Ridley disconnected. The idea that the main character in the Ridley Scott film is named Ripley—coincidence?
1: Is that is that what we think so? Okay. Believe it. Or I mean, not, I man. think the script was written. It, the script was written like before Ridley Scott was on board, right? I would I think mean, was so, Ripley yeah the name in the script. I mean, look, these are facts. We didn't do a bunch of
0: research Same on for alien. alien
3: retrospective. yeah, that's what coming
0: is- up soon, um but there is that aspect of like I wonder if a big factor for Metroid being popular, especially in the West, is just that idea of, like, oh, it's alien for kids, like maybe I saw a trailer or I saw like you know the v h s case. For some alien movies, and it now it's like, hey, here's this video game that kind of evokes some of those same vibes and even, like, story premises, but you can play it and you can actually own this, and it's in your own world now. Not that old fogey world, but the
3: film. Well, and there, there's also, and this ties into one of the other revela- revelations I had while researching this stuff, that Nintendo has really been Nintendo since the beginning. Because oh, yeah when they when they released Metroid it came out like two months after they had introduced like upgraded cartridges but it was still on the older like floppy disk system in Japan so a lot of people point to that as kind of torpedoing the sales and it's like man they've been they've been pulling that same move for that long huh since 1986 that classic Nintendo move of like wait a minute I just got a new system why am I playing this on an old system <laughs> it, seems like Metroid has always especially been a casualty of that right
0: which i think helps fuel that hype for metroid dread where it's like every new game that comes out for the switch becomes the best-selling game in that franchise i think we're on a we're on a real hot streak now yeah and if metroid dread does not sell pack it up the entire game industry has to come down no one's allowed to make a metroidvania ever again if you don't buy two
1: copies of metroid Dread, you have to shut up for the rest of your life well here's a question if metroid dread is not a hit yeah. Is Metroid Prime 4 just shoved off the table? Just canceled? Oh, yeah. No. no I, I, yeah, I don't think they do that. I think that
2: there is too much invested in Prime 4 at this point for them to really scrap it at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, man. Star Fox 2. That's right. It hey, that, that came out. They didn't, they didn't cancel it. That's, they, you're, they you're right. It just for out. a
3: really, really, really long Your time. Your grandchildren could play it at some point.
1: Mm-hmm. Kyle. And it sold like hotcakes. Yeah. You have consistent stories. Yeah. Star Fox, maybe. Mm. I not think about it. Oh, that's Although interesting. Zero Mission was kind of a reboot, so maybe not. Uh, it was yeah. just called Star Fox Zero. Or are you talking about Zero Mission
2: for Metroid Zero Mission?
1: Oh, I got confused. Yes, yeah, Star Fox Zero, I think, was technically a reboot. I, don't, I think that was a wipe the slate clean moment. Right, right. Um, before we get too far away
0: from names, I thought this little tidbit was interesting so uh, in this interview that Nintendo actually posted with some I think it was like a journalist but it was Nintendo posting it back when the NES uh, classic came out um, but they asked Kiyotake-san weren't you the one who named Samus Aran and he says yes I was and he says about 10 years ago I did when I did a magazine interview I heard from Sakamoto-san that you're a soccer fan and took the name from the real name of Pele the king of soccer and Kiyotake says yeah even though it may not actually really be his name <laughs> Turns out his real name is Pele's real name is Samus. Okay, apparently you thought Pele's real name is Samus Arantes Nacimentos, uh, but after you look it up, it's Edson Arantes. Do Nascimento. So they thought they were naming this after this character after Pele, and they were just completely off on the actual English name yeah, of this character. But it turns out it's a cooler name to have Samus Aran as as a great yeah. name and a great you know, homage that's to Pele. That wouldn't happen
1: today. That would get fact checked to hell. They would make sure, you know, right, right. Just be like one dude yeah. being like, "I think that's his name. Let's go with that." Yeah. that's hilarious. Happy. Did you, I also learned what uh, Metroid. Did you did you see that tidbit? Yeah, please regale Metroid us. Is, is the word uh, it's the word metro, like a you know, a transit system, and the word android. Just like I had no idea. I had never connected those dots. So I was like, oh okay. It's such a weird
0: just the aesthetic of like sci-fi stuff. So let's throw in the word android. Yeah, and it because it's in tunnels, so metro. But yeah, I had never known that before. That's such a weird little detail.
2: Speaking of that, it feels very weird that their uh, monster design, like the thing that this franchise is centered around, isn't really like it's kind of an interesting monster design because, you know, the entire series is about like, oh, this is a super fearsome thing. It's like super powerful. Uh, uh, like if this gets out, it's unstoppable. It's just like this globus thing with little claws that you, we really only saw like what they're capable of in one game in Metroid 2. Every other game is just like here's the floating kind of brain looking monster that never really poses that much of a threat otherwise.
3: Yeah, I wonder if I mean, it's like... Meanwhile, you're fighting, like, giant monsters and, like, bone pterodactyls and, like, all <laughs> Why these aren't ridiculous. they the galactic
0: threat? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Why isn't it called Ridley Keeps Coming Back? Right, right. I guess, yeah, I wonder <laughs> if it's like, well, we didn't want to have, as a key component, this, like, xenomorph, like, actually scary thing because we want this game to appeal to a bunch of different ages? Or maybe it's just a cleaner design to have something pure for like floating. Ra- I bet it was all gameplay inspired, right? Like it needs to like float, be able to attach to your head. So therefore let's make it a jellyfish. Which is
2: weird. Cause then the, the Chozo, yeah. the, the, the race that is giving you all the upgrades basically looks closer to a uh, Xenomorph than the actual bad guys.
1: Right. Right. That's a mess. Um But yeah, turns out and the guess game- because oh, was it uh, Sakamoto who's like Mr. Metroid these days, right? Like yeah. he, he sort of, Shepard's the franchise. He, his credit on the original Metroid was character designer. So do you think he designed all that stuff? Do you think he drew the Metroids and the I don't Chozo think so because
0: I read that he came in for the last three months of development. The first game was in development for 10 months okay. and he came in pretty late. I don't know exactly what type of stuff he'd be doing at that point. But yeah, now he is seen as the godfather of Metroid because he went on to direct Super Metroid and everything like that. But yeah, the original art direction, I'm not sure who was actually tackling that and who left the project. Now the whole thing worked. But uh, obviously, first... Metroid game, iconic for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, The music, certainly up there from our dear friend uh, Hip Tanaka, as he's called the composer at Nintendo. Who also did the music for Mario Land, Kid Icarus, Dr. Mario, Earthbound? Do you know what he's doing now, Kyle? I forgot. He retired. I don't think so. No, that would be the most boring answer. No, I forgot about this. He's the president of Creatures now. Like one third ownership oh. of Pokemon, the the
1: company that handles all the cards and a lot of just the industry side of Pokemon what is it with Pokemon taking composers and making them very important like people in charge of the Pokemon? Franchise? <laughs> that is true. they respect
0: music over there, man. That's yeah. what Pokemon I guess. are all about. Hey. You ever just listen to a song and think this guy's management material, <laughs> dude? You're telling me when you hear this song, you don't think it. Let's just let's just sit back and appreciate how good the Brinstar theme is here.
1: Dance to come up with, Anson? Yeah, what are these little you're talking about?
0: That was uh, that was an honor of. <laughs> have you watched Three, Two, One McCartney on Hulu, Kyle?
1: No. Uh, it's
0: very good. The entire premise is uh, it's like Rick Rubin, the producer going through the old master recordings of the Beatles with Paul McCartney. And it's really cool because like, oh, let's solo this track. Tell me what you remember about this recording session. It's like a cool way to kind of get him out of his uh, interview groove. But it's also just a lot of like them standing around, nodding, listening to like old Beatles songs. And it makes me laugh that you have Paul McCartney hearing this song. He's heard 40,000 times. So he's like trying to put some spin on us so every once in a while. he's like, when there's a high note, it's like, oh, and like points up. And they try and just <laughs> do a little
1: something, but it doesn't really work. Um, you said the com- hip Tanaka was the p- yeah, composer you yeah. Said? Yeah, okay. I listen to that music now and just think of him just approving Pokemon cards. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. Yep, that's a good Pikachu. Okay, yep. Uh, that's dun, 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 dun. his life, baby. Yeah, okay, this is perfect. Squirtle, this is good. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess, you know, on that note, like the music is obviously a huge factor for Metroid. And that's how I learned about the franchise because, you know, I was a late bloomer when it came to the gaming scene. And realistically, it was. Oh, yeah, that's the thing with the really annoying Smash 64 level with the lava that hurts you. And then I guess my friend Alex always played as Samus, and I didn't really know who that, char- know who that character was. But, I mean, Serial, are you... Smash in- Smash introduction to Metroid, or are you cool and hip and older than that? Yeah,
2: no, I, I... Yeah, that was the first time I'd ever heard of Samus. Yeah. I, didn't, I, I don't know that I even connected it to, like, this is a franchise that has been around. I just thought, like, oh, yeah, like, they, they put she's in there along with the rest of the smash brothers cast. I don't really know who it is. Captain Falcon. I guess there were also racing games. Uh, like <laughs> right. I, I wasn't super familiar. Like I wasn't someone who read up on stuff at that point. So it just felt like, okay, I guess they needed people for this fighting game. So they threw in this other character. Uh, but yeah, th- it is especially weird because I think that's maybe the only franchise in smash 64 that ended up not being on the Nintendo 64.
0: Well, earthbound.
2: Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it is, I guess it's weird that there's two in there, now that you mentioned it.
2: Yeah, two two games that they couldn't add, like, because it's always, now, Smash was such an ad for, like, okay, well, we're put. you know, we just released three houses, so we have to put, you know, like, 14 characters from that game in here, and uh, <laughs> meanwhile, like, this is the, like, well, everyone loves Nintendo, but... You know, we don't have a uh, EarthBound game on 64. We have an F 0 game on uh, 64, but no Metroid game, which is interesting to think about how Metroid just ended up skipping an entire generation. And it wasn't like EarthBound where it's like, you know, they released a Game Boy game and then they were kind of done. Like, they released, they you know, they, they've been sort of consistent about Metroid games, but it just ended up skipping an entire
1: generation. I saw a quote from Sakamoto who said that, like, he when he first held the N64 controller in his hand, he couldn't visualize how to make Samus move in a game with that controller. Is what he said. Uh, okay, Just buddy. like no, they never had an idea they loved. Apparently, is what it came down to. Yeah, I,
2: mean, I, I think that was that was probably one of those things where if he maybe had an idea for a Metroid game, but you know it the hardware being what it was they wanted it to make like a like it has to be a big 3d game and he was like i'd if it's not going to be a 2d game maybe he just didn't have a good idea of what that would look like he just uh, let's not make it
0: yeah and it's probably okay we got to push for 3d or we should try after the you know all the ground we broke on super mario 64 so could the tech actually pull this off and no matter what that game would have been a janky mess like best case scenario we get something like a jet force gemini or something from like that's mm. uh, probably not best case scenario but even that a 3d yeah. metro I mean, would have been pretty rough unless
1: they went 2d unless they did like a yoshi story mischief makers kind of direction right right would have mm. been cool or what if they went like first person but
2: it looked like doom
3: so it's mm. like Metroid prime but
2: it's like it's got the interface of uh doom
3: yeah and actually go mm-hmm. through that metro yeah well they they had also talked about in the you know like multiple histories of metroid how like super metroid came out super late in the development cycle for super nintendo and then the fact that it didn't do well and i think that that still kind of ties into this idea of like doing metroid different from nintendo stuff Mm -hmm. like that that was great in terms of making an impression on players and critical reception and stuff But I wonder how much internally to Nintendo kind of making an anti-Nintendo game went down when also it didn't sell super well after that. And with with Super Nintendo, it it sounds like they were like the game almost got cancelled multiple times and they were like the budget was continually being cut because it was like the biggest like memory memory for a game they had made up until that point. So it I wonder like if as soon as that Super Nintendo came out and didn't sell well which you know to be fair came out very late in the super nintendo's lifespan but if if that was just kind of another strike against it and the idea of then like jumping in and trying to turn around a quick nintendo 64 one like i'm i would guess that the management over there was more than happy to kind of punt that you know like the next sequel on that
0: yeah especially when games like you know Super Scope 6 and stuff was outselling Super Metroid on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, and like it's crazy when you look at the gaps for the Metroid series. Like that's obviously a big one. And just thinking, I mean, in that span, then for Metroid releases, it's Super Metroid and then nothing until Metroid Prime, which in my mind is an infinite amount of time, but I guess that's only eight years ultimately and now it doesn't seem unreasonable for a franchise but probably because i was you know in my gaming prime in that era like it seems like that was just an impossibly long time
2: yeah it's also weird because like sakamoto's history with nintendo is pretty interesting uh because you would th- i think his equivalent on you know other franchises would be like onuma for zelda where he wasn't like the creator but he ended yeah, up yeah totally caretaker. but it like if you look at the list of games sakamoto has made it just feels like uh, yeah, I'm the caretaker of Metroid, but that's like my side gig. You know, like, like I'm working on a bunch of other stuff at Nintendo. He, he's made more WarioWare games at this point than he's made uh, uh, Metroid games. And a lot of it, a lot of his stuff is like what Jeff would describe as anti-Nintendo games. So it's like WarioWare, Rhythm Tim Goku, Picross, DS, Mitomo. Like he, he, has, he has worked on the more eccentric side of Nintendo for most of his career, more so than Metroid
0: at this point. Yeah, it is definitely that realm and that development circle, and the people that go to work on a Metroid game, obviously before it's you know being worked on in Spain now. Um, but it feels like it's always that kind of Wario team. I mean, even to the fact that like uh, Metroid Fusion and Zero Mission are made on the Wario Land Four engine and stuff is it's that same circle of Nintendo developers where it's like that's that's the arena you guys are in. We're not we're not going main Tokyo uh, Mario team at this point for Metroid.
2: It's this weird kismet of like seeing the the one of the earliest games he worked on was like the Famicom Detective Club.
0: Oh, really? So,
2: yeah. And so like seeing those games come back where he was like he was the original game design scenario supervision producer on those and then Metroid Dread kind of follow up. It feels like. I don't. Maybe something happened at Nintendo. He's the kind of, you know, broken out of his shell or something. He was allowed more freedom within the company or something. Where it's like, yeah, we're going to release my my original game and we're going to make another Metroid game finally. So, it, it's interesting to see that stuff happen. But at this point, I feel like it's also there, another parallel with Zelda is that it feels like both of those franchises are in a state of transition where. Anuma isn't necessarily directing Zelda at this point and Sakamoto isn't directing Metroid. He's kind of like supervising obviously, but it feels like both of those franchises have kind of entered a new era of their uh, lives where there's been a handoff.
0: Yeah. Sakamoto, I want to learn more about that guy. I would love obviously with all these Nintendo developers just to have like a huge interview talking about their careers, but Seems like a tough interview. Seems like a quiet guy. Seems very locked in his zone. And I don't know if he's ever had that big unveiling interview that we're all kind of craving. Maybe for Metroid Dread's mm-hmm. release, they'll go out and do a big New Yorker piece on him or some abstract
1: Nintendo press piece. I did. I did meet him at E three. Oh, they, really? When they announced Samus Returns, which is like if you remember the way they they did this, like I had just an appointment for unannounced Nintendo game at this time at E three. You know. And uh, then they announced Samus Returns and like within the next two hours or something, that was my interview, was going to talk to Mercury, Steam and Sakamoto. Yeah. And it was that moment where I was like, you know, doing my research on the way there as the best I could. And I was like, oh my God, this is the, this is Super Metroid director. Like I need to like, and I like just, it was tough. Like I I, you can probably go find that interview somewhere, but it was tough to talk to because it was just like, I just found out about a new Metroid game like an hour ago I just found out I'm talking to the director of Super Metroid, right? you know, but you know, he was, he was, he was, he wasn't like, um, he he was seemed pretty quiet, you know. He yeah. was just excited to be working on a new Metroid game, but he wasn't like, you know, crazy exuberant or anything like that. He, um, in the Iwata asks on, um, uh, other M, yeah, he talked, to, he had one quote about himself where he said, uh, "I'm a man of burning passion, but just running around in circles is how he described himself." <laughs>
0: what the hell yeah
1: which explains all the backtracking in
3: metroid oh is what, is really what I, it's a I metaphor for sakamoto's life i see i actually also interviewed him hansen i guess what? you're the only one who hasn't what interviewed is this isn't yet. fair
4: i haven't interviewed uh, but i I, Thanks, I can't
3: remember i can't remember what game it was but it was very much the setup that kyle just described of like okay you're gonna go interview this idol that you have but it was for something completely unrelated to metroid i think oh really yeah, He was very polite about it, and I asked about 2D Metroid, and he was like, yeah, you know, maybe maybe someday if fans really want us to bring it back, and I yelled, we want you to bring it back! And then he made the next <laughs> 2D Metroid game. So wow! That was basically, there it is. That was, yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Um, You're welcome.
0: Yeah, I feel like this development kind of spokesperson for Metroid is a little confusing with Nintendo, um, because then for the Prime series, it's Kinsuke Tanabe who comes out as like Mr. Metroid Prime, whereas Sakamoto is kind of Mr. 2D Metroid, so it's weird to think of like yeah any other Nintendo franchise having that split. Um, but Tanabe is the one that goes out and gives a stamp of approval, and he does a lot of work now with kind of the the overseas teams and Next Level in particular. Now that they're owned by Nintendo and all that fun stuff. Um, should we get to the biggie? There's, well first of all, Metroid 2. Anybody play
1: Metroid 2 back in the day? Not the original, no. yeah, just the remake. Was, I, I started with Super Metroid very late. I actually, it was uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly had their top 100 games of all time, and they put Super Metroid at number one, and that was like, oh, well, I need to play this, and that was, I was aware of Samus, like, I knew it was, like, in the sort of, of, yeah, I knew of her, I knew she was named after a soccer player, That's accidentally, right. mm-hmm. Um but uh no, that was like it was like late high school. I tracked down a, a copy of the game and played it. And then, then I then I kind of but I never went back and played the NES games. Yeah. I mean it's pretty telling because you're playing a lot of Super Nintendo games growing up and
0: just Super Metroid was never on the docket.
1: No, yeah. Just it was it wasn't one I think even I had friends who owned. You know what I mean? Because that was like often how I would play a lot of Super Nintendo games, is you would bar because they were so expensive, you would maybe have two or three, and then your friends would have two or three. And then you would kind of swap them all around. But I, I never had a friend growing up who had Super Metroid.
0: Yeah, it, I probably saw it on that list of, yeah, greatest games of all time at some point. And yeah, I played through, I still have never finished it, which I understand is unforgivable. But I played through most of it just like on an emulator in high school, I think. Like, okay, trying to wrap my mind around this. Um, Surreal, what's your Super Metroid experience? I
2: played it on the Wii U for a few hours, and then my, I think my save got corrupted, so I still have not finished Super oh, Metroid. interesting.
0: Oh, um, Couple of us. Unforgivable. And Jeff, am you were in peak hype by the time you got Super Metroid, just because you had played a little bit of that original, or where were you at?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, it, I think if you owned a Super Nintendo back in the day, like there were a few huge games that just like everyone knew about and that you went out and got... And that was definitely one of them. I I don't know that it was that it was necessarily like, oh, I remember, you know, seeing and playing Metroid at my cousin's house 10 years ago or whatever. But it was I mean, it was the cool game that was blowing everyone's minds and was kind of this weird sci fi shooter thing that was unlike anything else on Super Nintendo at the time. So,
0: yeah. And did it that seem back win. in the day like this is this is the coolest game I have on my SNES? Like everything else is cute and fun, but like this makes me feel like an adult.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, it was, I think I have said this multiple times, but it was the first game that made me cry when I got to the end. And like, it was such an intense, like crazy feeling. And I also, at the time, I didn't understand that like, that that final boss fight, they just cheese you on it and it, they drain all your health anyway. I thought I was just like legitimately losing <laughs> at that point. So when the baby Metroid came in and gave me superpowers, like that was completely overwhelming. But it was, yeah, it was completely unlike anything. And it was, at least to me, like the cool, like cool older kind of game that maybe teenagers would play or something like that. But Oh, it was, totally. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Sakamoto, uh, the director, he had a quote uh, where he said, We had a strong desire to make something that people would compare to a movie. Obviously, again, being like, we really like Alien, everybody. What movie? Yeah, would that uh, be? but he says, I asked people around me about uh, the idea of putting like a cutscene at the end like that. And some people said that being unable to do anything wasn't good for a video game but I really wanted to do that. Like that scene you're talking about where it's draining the health. I really wanted to put in that scene, just like in a movie in which the baby Metroid comes to help just when you're desperate and wondering what to do. And I feel like, you know, now we look back on cutscenes, and it's like, okay, little, uh, a little more gameplay, a little less cutscenes from some of these older games. But that is an example. I feel like we're that heart of super Metroid at the end. That's critical yeah. is to have that
3: little scene it's pivotal and it's right in the middle you know it's sandwiched by gameplay and then it throws you into like that countdown right timer pretty fast after that and so it it felt totally natural and it was a good you know like really potent story chunk that they put in there yeah it it wasn't just like endless dialogue that you that you want to skip through like it was really important at that at that point in the story
0: yeah I know you said that you're uh drowning in nostalgia every time you boot up Super Metroid, but do you think it ages pretty well relatively to
3: that yeah. era i mean i it's probably been like another five or ten years since I've gone back to it at this point, but every time I do like it's we are way past the expiration date for when bad games start to look bad in my mind, but i I think it's still. It still plays great. I'm. I'm. It would be interesting to go back to after like Axiom Verge and those. Right. We've we've had a lot of really stylish, kind of action platformers like that that have really you know like I think of Dead Cells and stuff where like the controls have just like taken it to a new level. But I would suspect that it it still holds up just fine. Although I'm. Yeah. I'm completely biased by my own nostalgia, so. No,
2: I I, I think I that I, if I remember correctly, it was uh, Jv, uh, you know, former worker of ours who I think recently played through Super Metroid and like put it as one of his favorite games of all time. Like having, I mean, obviously, like he like Alien is his favorite movie ever, right? Right. Uh, so it's still so playing the video game version of that is obviously going like, to appeal to him. But I think it, it th- that is not nothing, right? To for for someone to play that game uh, so long after release and and rank it so highly, I think speaks pretty well of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know friends of the show Grant Ronnie sure. also recently played through that for the first time We're like, oh no, that game actually is great after playing so many Metroidvanias inspired by it, right? Um But yeah, Super Metroid, uh, 17 developers on that one and it took two and a half years. Uh, pretty chunky development for back in the day and this is a, a stupid little thing uh, from back at Game Informer. Uh, I believe Tim Turry found this profile but it's called the Samus Aran profile and it, this is what Nintendo... Shipped Game Informer to promote Super Metroid before it came out. And we found, like, the original paperwork of it. And so it kind of goes through, like, oh, Samus Rand profile, uh, career encapsulation, her aspirations, uh, her ambition, all this, uh, you know, dorky stuff. She's really leaning in. (laughs) And then it says... Well, it's like you know, what is her hot new weapon? She's like, oh, it's definitely my X-ray scope. This scope allows me to reveal secret passages on the planet. Uh, trickiest enemy: Metroids. So got it. Um, and this one, it says, "Shock of the Millennium: Colon that under my power suit of cybernetic armor, I am a beautiful, feminine woman with long purple <laughs> hair and green eyes." <laughs> is what the Dude, official what? Nintendo press release says hair. about Samus. <laughs> Bold move. Like, I'm trying to remember even, like, Zero Suit in the original when you can play through that game. Like, the purple hair and green eyes bit. Where is that coming from? It's
2: It's also because, like, isn't there a drawing of her where she has green hair and a purple outfit? Or am I I confusing that character?
0: Oh, I don't know. I don't know. This one on this press release, yeah, she does have purple hair. So it's probably just somebody in the American, you know, marketing team putting that sketch together. I mean, she
1: had green hair in the nes game okay and then the red hair i think well uh, encountering the metroid yeah, messes and with and yeah. now she's blonde but right yeah i don't know <laughs> where the purple comes from it's so weird
3: yeah it's such a mess but you know they, we had, were, a, they had a greater color palette when they went to super nintendo so that's right yeah, really that's right becomes, that becomes yellow yeah.
0: mm-hmm.
3: um let's see metroid prime this uh oh Hansen, yeah we we should mention i'm sure you came across it multiple times but that whole decision to make Samus a woman yeah. was really just like, and everyone who retells it was like, yeah, we were just sitting around and someone I can't remember who just said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if she was a woman? And we were like, yeah. So then we made it that way. It like, <laughs> that's apparently all the thought that went into it. Yeah. because so good on them. I think because
0: the idea is they were trying to yeah. come up with multiple endings. So we're like, how can we come up with... An ending that would surprise people or something oh, like that. But minds, yeah, just yeah. that casual and now it's, Oh, a kind of character. Uh, Tim Laro actually submitted a comment over on Patreon saying, My earliest game memory is watching my mom play through the original Metroid and NES. She was as surprised as anyone when Samus turned out to be a lady when revealed at the end of the game.
3: She was a lady! <laughs> that is legitimately like an amazing decision to hold it off until the very end. Like, which most people probably didn't even see at that point, but it's like to have people playing an entire game thinking you know who the protagonist is and then be like, oh, no, actually, especially, you know, in the 80s when people were, I, I guess people are still sexist today, but I'm, I'm sure yeah, it like, turns out I that guess. was that was legitimately a cool choice. And right. I, I was just as surprised as anyone in a good way. It was cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, and just to have that, like, it's almost like a real test. You know, if you're talking about the game on the playground, it's like, okay, only if you made it to the end, you understand the identity of this character you're playing the whole time. Because even in, like, the instruction manual, in the American version at least, it always refers to Samus as a he, just to try and build up that plot twist, which... It's confusing, but it's. cool. I mean, is it are, is it to build up the I, process, I, or did he just generally not? No, probably did. Like, yeah. it's an astronaut. I think it was that. Yeah, she's got rainbow hair. Yeah. I mean, he, I, whatever. Uh, it's it's an android. Look at it go. I think is what the original instruction manual said. Um, but yeah, Metroid Prime coming out November seventeenth, two thousand two. Oh, um, I was in love with my GameCube at this time, hungry for anything new, and then nice handle. I, Nice handle. I was lugging it around everywhere I went. I was biking to school, sucking a lolly, holding my GameCube. And then Metroid metroid Prime came out in GameSpot, I want to say, gave it a 9.6. Let me see. 7. 9.7. Thank you. Yeah. And I was a huge GameSpot fan. So I was like, okay, well, I've dabbled with this other game, Super Metroid, on my computer. I guess now I need to jump into Metroid Prime. And even though I've never been more sickened by a game when it comes to motion sickness, like I was like, <laughs> like cold sweats i blasted through metroid prime and it was a delight but i assume we're all metroid prime fans
1: yes yeah i i actually only i played it for the first time recently the the first i played metroid prime 3 right when it came out oh interesting i only beat metroid prime 1 like within the last two years for the because i streamed it yeah how Um, is it how's it age and it holds up it awesome. it really well it's i mean it's it looks great it's so cool i mean the, the atmosphere of that game is sort of like unrivaled you know what i mean we talked so much in our dead space deepest dive about in-game user interface and how important that was to maintaining sort of like this grounded feeling that you're actually on the spaceship and like metroid nailed that like everything that you see in the game is data that samus gets as well and it just it it works so well and it looks great yeah it holds up really well
0: yeah, and I remember talking to the game's uh, director, Mark Pacini, I think is how you pronounce that last name, um, but he was telling stories about how when they first started working on this game, this was down when he was at Retro, obviously, um, talking to Nintendo, they said that in the Retro studio, they had, like, this piece of concept art that they had hanging on the wall, which was, like, Samus looking all badass and, like, bloody, like, blah, kind of, like, war-torn Samus style. Uh, what do you call it? Shattered Samus or something? Um And then they were talking to Nintendo and Nintendo's like, well, obviously Metroid Prime is a game all about scanning things. (laughs) Like what? Like, oh, the visors and the scanners, like that's the game, that's the gameplay, is you walk around and you explore and scan things. And so I think the majesty of, if I may use so bold of a term, of Metroid Prime is it is that perfect fusion of, you got the the atmosphere, some of that tone coming from Japan and Nintendo of just injecting a little bit of something different in here and then also the Western philosophy of designing first-person shooters at that time, especially down in Texas, and then like Metroid or Metroid Prime is that perfect fusion, no pun intended, of those two sensibilities and they like hold each other equally and it works out perfectly. Whereas if it was a purely retro design game, no influence from Kyoto, like I don't think it would have aged nearly as well. Yeah.
2: Uh, I I was actually reading the um the Iwata Asks for Metroid Prime 3. Uh and they're talking about the differences between Western and Eastern developers. And uh, to, uh, Tabata, who was one of the um, producers on the game, I, I believe, who is, is actually kind of interesting because they they mentioned how Tabata, she I guess was hired at EAD, the division that you know the, of that infamous Nintendo division, um, to do office work. Uh, it was her understanding, and then she got in the office. It's like, oh, yo, you're one of the developers of this game, of helping out with like Metroid Prime, and she's like. I guess I am. And she's like, she, she basically worked her way up within the company. Um, but she, she mentions that um, when you work with a Western studio, you begin to get the feeling of uh, you begin to get a feeling why Hollywood films look so great. In addition, it's not just the visual style, but also the technical side, which tends to be of excellent quality. Uh, the physics, etc., are also tightly coded when Samus turns into the morph ball or when she shoots her cannon, things like reflections move very naturally. On the other hand, the strength of Eastern developers is in their attention to very minute things. For example, if you have to choose one over the other, it is Japanese developers who are good at composing chronologically coherent stories. That's huh. why when we ask them, among other things, to make a proper chronological table of the events and to update it regularly.
0: Ha! Huh. That's such a fun perspective. Yeah, that, that summarizes a lot of it there. That's perfect. Um, and talking about like the atmosphere and how much that carries through... God, what was it last year? Was it earlier this year? That fan project release, which I think is still available, that's called Metroid Prime in 2D, where it's just the first area that you can run around and somebody converted Metroid Prime to kind of look like Super Metroid, but it seemed like a pretty cool fan project there that Nintendo hasn't blasted from orbit or anything yet. Um, But yeah, obviously the music in Metroid Prime is incredible. Fendrana Drifts, obviously. Uh, So much great stuff in that game. Um, Metroid Prime 2 had multiplayer, and they made it in, like, 11
1: months or something absurd, right? Um, Kyle? Uh, I did know a guy who swore by that multiplayer. He, he claimed that th- he loved it. Okay. It more than Halo. He, he claimed I, <laughs> that he loved
2: it. I definitely played, you know, that was definitely in the rotation for when, you know, we had, I had friends over, and it's like, okay, well, we're, we're, we've we're played Mario Kart, we've played, you know, a bunch of other stuff. Like, l- let's play, like, two hours of Metroid Prime 2 Echoes' multiplayer. Uh, and I remember enjoying it. I don't think it was like though this is incredible, like we need to start an eSport out of this um but <laughs> but I remember enjoying it, yeah, it seemed kind of fun. It was also super hard that like uh prime two is probably by far the hardest one
0: of those games, yeah, yeah, and then prime mm-hmm. three, I assume you're number one lover of Kyle,
1: yeah, I love Metroid Prime Three. I was also like uh fully on board at the time with the motion controls and people trying to do interesting things with the motion controls and like it was like super fun to like use the left nunchuck to like whip enemies and like pull them toward you and stuff like that and like the way the game opens up where you can kind of use the wii remote to like look around the cockpit of the ship like yeah i have have a lot of love for metroid prime 3 i really like that game
0: yeah nice Uh, obviously zero mission and fusion beloved in the game boy advance we talked about them previously with our big Game Boy Advance episode. And then there's also a Max Spoilers episode on our YouTube channel for Metroid Fusion because Kyle and Suriel just played through that thing, which is amazing. So if you want a huge discussion of that, you can go check that out on our YouTube channel. Um, yeah, we mentioned it before, but it is bonkers. that Yeah, Fusion released one day after Metroid Prime. That was just like, when it rains Metroids, it pours Metroids. Here you go, everybody. What do you mean they both didn't sell well? And, no, I think they sold fine relatively. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, but uh, to go back to Prime 3 real quick, yeah. um, Tabata was, uh, she majored in Chinese and she, like, she was not like a huge gamer. Uh, and they talk about like, I think Iwata was probably really proud of Prime 3 as it related to his vision of like the Wii being the more accessible console. Like they're talking about how like the, the aiming with the remote is more intuitive than using a controller and like how, how the, like the Japanese uh, audience isn't as receptive to like first person controls as the Western audience. Uh, And so Tabata's talking about, like, you aim the gun with the pointer while uh, pointing in the direction you wish to shoot. You press the A button and shoot your enemies. Uh, Basically, the player doesn't need to worry about the camera. If the player wants to move here, she can just uh, push the control stick on the nunchuck. The method, uh, uh, the control method has a similar feeling to just moving your eyes where you want to aim. And she also mentions that it's like it is a completely different experience from playing the other Metroid games for her.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it worked for some people. Um, and we're still waiting on that mysterious HD re-release of the Prime Trilogy, which yeah, we've which been assured basically, yeah, super retrofit exists. all
2: of those controls into the other two games, which is...
0: Oh, right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then, yeah, I'd imagine that if that HD version ever comes with a Switch, then they'd probably offer motion controls, yeah, for Metroid Prime 1 and 2. But, yeah, forget about that weird uh, Wii version of that. Um, but then, here comes the Juggernaut. Here we got Metroid Other M. Uh, the Wii game that, uh, some fans don't even want to acknowledge it exists. I feel like from the outside, I heard so much crap about Metroid Other M. And it was a lot of just, like, people screaming about the story being so stupid and the idea that Samus has her abilities, but the commanding officer is not letting you use them as being the stupidest way to Metroid your character and kind of reset their skill base. And then I think we did a game like a replay back at Game Informer Metroid Other M. And I'm like, parts of it kind of look cool. <laughs> like, I am I going on a crazy limb to say no, maybe I, too much of I, a bad rap for this game?
2: I like Metroid Other M. Oh, there as, it is. As a Metroid game, I think it works. But I totally I think that was to me the turning point of like, yeah, the game can be interesting or fun, but like, um, like, I don't think it's a bad Metroid in this in like the mechanical sense for me. Like, there's some kind of rough stuff with like having to move the controller around constantly. And some of the upgrades were kind of like... Weird, but I think that was one of those cases where I think the game can just thematically not be interesting, and I think that stuff is like the the the, the very sexist premise of like here's a like a, a male commander basically telling you what you can and cannot do, even in the face of like life threatening situations. <laughs> right, like, right. I go into the lava area, my suit is on fire, and you're <laughs> telling me I can't activate. Like, my, like I think that that was like a good case for you know where the conversation about video games was, where it's like right, we right. can talk about more than just gameplay and that and how that that can impact. Impact our experience with the game so i think that like mechanically it works but i think as i read about it and stuff and started reading people's perceptions that was like one of those like oh right yeah like we can think about games in this way of just of more than like well if the if the components are good then it is automatically like by math a good game
0: hmm yeah kyle didn't you just replay this one too
1: yeah, no, I'm a, it's funny because I'm a long-time Other M defender for a lot of the reasons that Suri was talking about. Like, mechanically, I think it's it's cool. Like, I think it's fun to play. Uh, looking at the Awada Asks, they're kinda, their goal, they had multiple goals. One was, like, play the game entirely with just a Wii remote, which is interesting. Oh, God. And also to make... Try trying to find the quote that I wrote down. Uh, Sakamoto said he wanted to try to make, like, an NES game using the latest technology. That was, like, the pitch. Because then you have the controller with the D-pad and the two buttons. And like in terms of gameplay, I think it works pretty well. I think it w- works well. I think the game looks good. But yeah, I mean all those elements of the story are just indefensible. Like the story is awful. And uh the um there's like it seems like there was two you know groups sort of working on it. It was mainly Sakamoto and then this like company that they hired to make CG animations, um, you know, for all the story sequences and stuff like that. And uh one of the quotes from Iwata asks from the guy, this guy Katara, who um, you know was this ba- this company that made commercials that was hired to make all the CG cutscenes for Metro: Other M. He said, "Samus is a woman who is poor at coping with life's problems," and and like at that point, it's just like we are. There's a fundamental disconnect here because that is never ever how I've thought <laughs> about Samus right. or any ever. You know what I mean? I mean, it's a prequel. Sure, we can we can explore how she learn to become who she was but like i don't know they just that they just missed the mark so hard on that and it it's it's it is frustrating I, I understand why people are down on the game but i think if you kind of look at it as a functional like the design of the map the way the combat works it's a solid metroid game it's well, it's it's, yeah. it's, it's not it's even and i played it with another one that i played within the last two years you know all right that's surprising yeah i mean
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, but according to this timeline that I looked up, not even a full prequel. Like the timeline is
1: Metroid slash Zero Mission. Right. Metroid Prime, Metroid I Prime 2. I'm I'm sort of conflating things because there are so many flashbacks. Right. Right. To when she was like in the academy and stuff. Like, that. like that's a big see, part of the I story. See. But it is yes, it is a it is a super Metroid sequel, like yeah. canonically. Right. I'm not right. canonically anymore, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the so the timeline
0: here is Metroid slash Zero Mission. Metroid Prime. Metroid Prime Hunters, of course, we stand on legend. Metroid Prime 2 Echoes, Metroid Prime 3 Corruption, Metroid Prime Federation Force, Metroid 2, Super Metroid, Metroid Other M, Metroid Fusion, and then Metroid Dread is the official stamp.
2: Speaking of which, I had totally forgotten about Metroid Prime Hunters. Uh, yeah, the DS, the DS thing. Uh, because I, 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 speaking of multiplayer games, I, I ended up in a clan for Metroid Prime Hunters. What? Uh, we had our own <laughs> website and like uh we would have updates and we were like let's play over wi-fi <laughs> you know like nintendo wi-fi connect uh it was very, it, it was maybe like two months that i was in that clan i was like i'm gonna take this game seriously for i don't know what that means at this point wow. but like let's let's have a like a, a chat going on this website that someone had rigged up and like talk about how like metroid prime hunter strategies for for two months <laughs> That's amazing. is this
1: based on the the full release or just the demo cartridge no it was so i it played was a lot of cool that games. demo cartridge it I also played cool? a okay. lot of that
2: demo cartridge i tried every i beat that with like every control scheme that they recommended of like okay beat it with just the button controls beat it with the 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 stylus beat it with a little strap that you can attach to your thumb and make it like an analog stick
0: uh but in, yeah in I my mind that demo. in my mind that is like the original ugly, prototype-looking, weirdo DS game. When I think of playing that big, clunky gray thing, I think of playing Metroid Prime Hunters. It's just synonymous. Uh, uh, well, it came with the DS, right? It was the cartridge was in yeah. there, wasn't it? Yeah. Right, right. Uh, Kyle, um, I also read that a lot of asked for Metroid Other M, just to jump back to that sucker real quick. It, yeah. um, it was maybe the most illuminating things that I've seen in terms of what it's like to work with Sakamoto. Like, there's a quote here uh, from one of the developers at Tecmo saying, uh, Sakamoto-san was a little bit vague about what he wanted to do at first. And Iwata says, ah, he does seem like that from the outside, doesn't he? Sakamoto-san seems to have a specific image of what he wants to do, but he certainly doesn't express himself clearly. That's why he is unable to communicate his image from the start so that other people understand. And then they told the story... Jeez, what a-
1: what an employee review to get during what's Seriously. supposed to be like. a. Well, then he interview. also,
0: a lot of throws it under the bus here because there's talking about it. And they said, uh, one of the developers says, for example, the very first thing we made available to the public on the website for this project was a piece of piano music. That piece started life one afternoon when we got a message from Sakamoto-san saying, I want to make a piece of piano music. After I responded, well, there's somebody on my staff who can play the piano. We decided to create the piece. Then I asked him when is the deadline, by the way? And he responded Today and then Iwata said that's rather unreasonable <laughs> and they said so we sent the music his email attachments of course Sakamoto-san is a bit of an obsessive so his response his response upon listening to it was this part is wrong so we did it again and resent it to him and his response was this part is wrong as well this kind of exchange continued over and over until about 8pm and even the piano players started saying I just don't understand <laughs> can you imagine that nightmare but hey they did it and everybody remembers that piano piece for metroid other Ram, so it all works out in the end and apparently sakamoto didn't read iwata asks ever (laughs) yeah it was interesting yeah he wasn't a big part of that one um but then it's kind of a, a weird doldrum period again obviously and there's uh next level games the studio uh that created luigi's mansion um and eventually federation force they were working on a 3DS Metroid game. It's like some concept art was released, and somebody from Next Level said, Yes, that concept art is real. That's the first I'd actually seen of that concept art, but a prototype was made before being shelved in favor of Luigi's Mansion 2 or Dark Moon. It was about as bare bones as it gets, but it was still pretty fun. Um, But then eventually, they did come around and they developed Metroid Prime Federation Force, which is the co op focused Metroid Prime game where you don't play as Samus that also people never stop ragging on it is just tanked everywhere and again this is a very naive perspective but i played it for like an hour or two with a
1: group of fun people and i was like
0: "That's oh, kind of fun I, I had a good time playing that little thing
1: it, it hews closer to metroid prime than i think most people assume because like their lead show off thing but that game was that the the, the soccer game blast you know ball I mean? which is yeah. just like a yeah, it's just like a side mode, but like the, the core game is basically like mini Metroid Prime missions. Right. Which is like kind of cool. It's still not what I want from Metroid, but I, I, I do I do sort of pause when people immediately pounce on it as being awful or it's like eh, it's a little more to it than that. But yeah, yeah it, I, the, I didn't get into it because it's not really good for a single player is was my big thing yeah it's not super fun to play by yourself i definitely
2: think that's one of those games where the franchise label is as much a burden as it is a boon I, i like i i think no one would talk about that game or mention it ever if it didn't have metroid uh metroid prime in the title but i think saddling it with those expectations especially when there weren't other metroid games being made definitely felt like it was a like it was setting that game up to fail
0: especially because they released a message from the producer Tanabe, who's a producer on Metroid Prime. Um, And he's also, you know, he directed Mario 2, he wrote Link's Awakening, this guy's an old Nintendo legend. And in this YouTube video um, from Nintendo, he said, quote, What I can say for sure is that Metroid Prime Federation Force is a game that definitely belongs in the Metroid universe. And then he literally says, That, I promise. Let's like, oh, oh, boy, Tanabe. <laughs> right. He was never seen again after that. Cut to robots playing soccer. Exactly. Well, I forgot about <laughs> this. In E3 2015, they announced the game by showing that first. They're like, hey, check it out. It's Blast Ball. Yeah. And everyone's like, is this a Metroid game? And, like, I guess it was rumored that this game called Metroid Prime Federation Force was out there and they were going to show it at E3. But it wasn't until days later that they announced that. So, like, on the show floor, they were just pushing everybody to playing... Effectively, what was Rocket League? You know, like, hey, check out this Rocket League-style game. But yeah, apparently Metroid Prime Federation 4 started back in 2009 when Tanabe wanted an online multiplayer Metroid game. Pick up those strong roots of the multiplayer foundation of Metroid. Which, of course, then was fulfilled later on with Metroid Blast and Nintendo Land. That weird experience that I saw. Somebody in the Discord was like, hey, that thing was actually pretty cool
1: forgot about that yeah uh so speaking of the community lands like a reason i I, i'll always hang on to my wii u just to play some mario run
0: (laughs) mario chase dude it's it's super fun i still love mario chase Chase. i'm sorry Mario Chase. excuse me um but in the community we had folks uh rank the metroids for this fancy form so the official hive mind community ranking of the metroid series number one federation force it's shocking. We're <laughs> wow. filled with trolls in our community. Uh, no, this is from the Discord and also uh, Show on Twitter. Um, number 13, Metroid Prime Federation Force. Number 12, Metroid Other M. 11, Metroid Prime Hunters. Then Metroid Prime Pinball. Let me it in there. Then number 9 is the original Metroid. Then number 8, Metroid 2 Return of Samus. Number 7, Metroid Prime 3 Corruption. Number 6, Metroid Prime 2 Echoes. That's interesting. I thought Corruption would be higher than Echoes. Uh, five, yeah, me too. Metroid Samus Returns. Four, Metroid Zero Mission. Three, Metroid Fusion. Two, Jeff, and what do you think with our young audience? Where are they going?
3: It better not be the number one is all i'll say yeah number one better not be number
0: two is all i'm
3: saying <laughs> the true number <laughs> number one. two can be we number one know. but number one can't we all be number
0: know. two uh-huh number two is metroid prime I- of course and then number one uh, is right. number super two metroid is number two
3: that's great that's they right got it right
0: they really nailed it
1: i i think that's fair honestly like i i think i think i played metroid prime recently and i, I you know i dabbled with super metroid when it came out on switch you know played like the first hour and like i i you know, even like nostalgia aside, I think Super Metroid's like a, a better game. I think that's a fair ranking. Yeah. I think Other rims low, though. I will say, I think it can go up a couple spots. Okay. All right. Above pinball is Kyle's hot take. Um, all right. And Hunters. But I know we got a huge Hunters fan over here, so that's maybe I should say
2: See my clan in Metroid <laughs> Prime Hunters.
1: <laughs>
2: I probably don't know a thing about playing I think it was a mostly talk of just like, oh yeah, I bet this like sniper
0: laser is probably the best weapon in the game. Okay, we'll play one match. All right, see you later. Nerf it! Imba sniper laser thing. Uh, Metroid Dread, obviously coming out October 8th, um, the crazy story of this thing of how it was a DS game that was canceled, but rumored for so long, uh, and coming back, um, so Metroid Dread, they've been trickling out info since the last time we talked about it, they said that the Metroid species no longer exists at the start of Metroid Dread, we'll see how long that holds true for, um, and also the fact that the Chozo are not extinct, which everyone had just kind of assumed was the case- uh, but That's this cool. game actually has like a fully animated Chozo character that they've revealed in like this short little trailer and stuff. So it's like, okay, so Chozo are not extinct,
1: but Metroids are? I thought it was always the opposite, but sure, yeah. we're going in here. Well, I mean, I'm, the idea is that Sam is, was raised by Chozo right. after her parents were killed. Right. So, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah. So they unless they went extinct as, when she became a teen or something, I don't know. Yeah. Um, that
2: trailer that last trailer definitely struck me as like I think Metroid is one of those franchises where less is more where they're like yeah not showing you so much lore and like explicit story definitely feels like it sells the fantasy of exploring an alien world better than like oh yeah we have to dump all these lore details on you and like reveal the truth about that like I don't know that that necessarily is what I come to Metroid for but yeah I yeah. like what I've seen of the gameplay that looks looks great
0: for sure and they also revealed in that little uh, they're calling it the Metroid dread report uh, volumes one through four is uh, that apparently, like Super Metroid and Metroid Dread, you can get the items and abilities, like, before you're supposed to. You can get things kind of out of order and kind of lightly, funly mm-hmm. break the game in some ways, which is fun. And also the idea that if you hit left on the D-pad, apparently you can expand the view of the map. Uh, and I saw that Game Explained was trying to piece things together, and they piece together the idea that there's those Emmy zones, right? Where you're going to be stalked by those weird white robot thingies, um, and they're, like, big red areas on the map. But then if you take out the Emmy in that area, then that entire area turns green. So you can actually see on the map, like the range of where these things can actually hunt you down, which is kind of cool. So Metroid Dread. we'll be we talking about it more, I'm sure. Um, but Metroid just isn't for Metroid anymore. Isn't that right, Surreal? Yes, I think. Okay. I, I agree. Yeah, uh, we had a tweet. Thanks for Father's Metroid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a tweet asking for everybody's favorite, uh, favorite not Metroid Metroid game. And believe it or not, a lot of people said Hollow Knight. Probably number one answer is Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight, Guacamelee Two, uh, Batman: Arkham Asylum, oh, Steam World Dig I was Two.
1: Actually, I was prepared. I was prepared to say Guacamelee, assuming it wouldn't get mad. Ah, but Guacamelee Two. No. It's really fantastic.
0: Flaming Keso's yeah. got gotcha. you. Uh, Symphony of the Night gets thrown in there, of course, um, and then a couple people with the big E, Axiom Verge. And Axiom Verge 2 is out now on what? Switch and PC? PS4. Epic Game Store? PS4. Okay. Switch, Epic Game Store, and PS4. Okay, there we go. Uh, Serial, how is Axiom Verge 2 so far?
2: Uh, I like it. Um, I think the thing that comes to mind is that I, I think to me what makes a Metroid game, if you're being a total purist, is that fighting enemies is risky rather than like inherently rewarding. So even Hollow Knight feels like it is not in step with Metroid's philosophy of like, you don't necessarily have to fight everything because in, in Hollow Knight, if you kill stuff, you get money out of it, right? Like there are resources and, and, and you know, you like, okay, I, I can go out and grind in something like Hollow Knight or any other game and kind of slowly build up my power that way. Whereas I think maybe Shadow Complex is maybe the the one and the Axiom Verge that I can think of that is like, Ida, progression is purely based around finding item. Yeah. And that is that is what this, uh, what Axiom Verge does. You know, the, the original did it really well and this game follows up on that where upgrades really quickly um so like you you initially start with like a pickaxe which is interesting to start a metroid game with just a melee weapon and then you get a boomerang so i don't i don't have a way to shoot stuff yet uh so huh. i have a boomerang as my ranged weapon and i have a pickaxe as my melee weapon but you're immediately getting these upgrades that that abide by like uh, a a tenet of metroid that, that i didn't know really existed which is like your items that are keys also have like interesting functions so like It's not just like, okay, this thing is really just, like, when you see this thing, use it as a key. Um, But it has no practical applications outside of that. So right now, the big thing that I have is, like, this shockwave that uh, can break down, um, like, cracked walls, basically, right? Uh, But it also is, like, this shockwave that is super damaging to enemies. Uh, And then later you get this ability, which I think is really cool, where you can hack enemies. Or, like, hack enemies and platforms and stuff. You can have these platforms move, which is like, hey, I, I need to make progress, but also you can get enemies to, like, uh, do your bidding for you, which is really cool. Uh, huh. So, like, all the stuff that I found have had have had these dual purposes of it does something that lets you progress, but also has, a, a like, a cool function that you can – that is actually – lets you build on combat. And so it doesn't feel like you're just limited to, like, okay, in Metroid you're mostly shooting things, right? Like, you're using different weapons and stuff. But it feels like you have more ways of engaging with the world, which is what I like about this game so far.
0: Yeah. So you're it maybe more than the first one, or where you at overall? Do you think early on? Uh, I feel like I really
2: liked Axiom Verge when it came out. Like yeah. I, I think the 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 latter half of the game is like a, a like really really interesting in terms right. of what it how it manipulates that formula, and like there are just straight up parts where it's like there are sometimes times in these games where I'm just like, should, can I do this kind of obscure thing is that what i was meant to do and most of the time it's like no you're overthinking it there you were just supposed to get an upgrade and like you know like can i make that jump or do i need the double jump and like 95 percent of the time you just need the double jump yeah there were situations in axiom verge where it felt like they did kind of think of me specifically of like no you are supposed to do the kind of weirdo thing sometimes uh and this has had a, a couple of those things so far and i'm hoping that there's more of that uh, this time around uh, so I, 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 li- I like it quite a bit the story I'm not like it is it is still in that very piecemeal mode where it's like okay you're kind of in this world for for reasons that you know you're kind of stuck here you're trying to get out you're trying to fight a way back basically and you're you're reading notes and stuff so that I'm waiting for that part to get interesting but you know
1: uh, can I ask you real quick Serial? yeah um, so I didn't play axiom verge one I I know I should have and I know I should but, like, I want to jump into Axiom Verge 2. I downloaded it right away. Should I just, like, read a summary of the story of Axiom Verge 1? Or is it, like, yeah, I think jump that, in?
2: Yeah, yeah, like, there's... Uh, so far, the collect- the connections to the first one have been pretty loose. There is, like, a mention of a character from Axiom Verge 1. Um, but it definitely feels like uh, you're not missing out on a ton by not having played the original. Okay,
1: but, I'll, but I will benefit from looking up an overview of, like... What happened in the first yeah i think it's so I like if
2: if, if, if it's just like a synopsis like the, don't necessarily watch like a, a, a lower youtube video but it's like if you just want to jump into this one you can you totally can it's like a new protagonist new scenario like it's it's totally separate from that so uh yeah i'm okay. looking forward to playing to playing more of it one thing that i think this game does that i think is like a something i would love to see in every other game is that it has the map like the metroid map kind of like you know the graph paper map but it actually comes with coordinates so you can say like oh, I'm I'm stuck at, like, 17, 19. And that, right. and that is, like, in this spot, I don't know how to get through here. And so you can send that to somebody. It's like, oh, yeah, that's where you do the thing. And I'm surprised more games don't do something like that. that I'm is sure there point. are examples, but the fact that it demarcates, like, where every part of the map is, I think is super cool.
0: Yeah, that's sweet. Um, yeah, I don't know if anybody checked it out, but a while ago, it's a confusing route, but two-player productions, the a documentary crew that's kind of embedded within Double Fine. They produced a short documentary about Axiom Verge 1 and a little bit of 2, just about those games' development. And they released it on IGN's YouTube channel. And it's very good. It's an excellent documentary that ends up largely not being about Axiom Verge very quickly on and just about the guy's family and the state of that game's development. But it's a really great look behind the scenes of uh, Thomas Happ. Did you ever watch that, Jeffem? I think you should watch it, Jeffem. Yeah, it's a... not to spoil anything, but it has to do with a, a new baby being born. And it's fascinating and, and emotional. But yeah, check that out. Just You can yeah. just search Axiom Verge documentary IGN probably. Yeah,
2: I, okay. it, yeah, it is worth noting that like I, I feel like, obviously it's not as popular, but Thomas Happ strikes me as one of those um, uh, Toby Fox type figures. Of, right. like, he, just, he is trained in almost every discipline. Like the music in this game is... is really good i like it quite a bit there's a lot of chanting it it doesn't feel like um it doesn't feel it it feels like it is going for that retro vibe but it doesn't feel like it's uh confined to it so so it's like it's adding really uh strong instrumentation on top of like you know something that sounds like it's from the 80s yeah but not necessarily like chiptune
0: right on right on uh yeah axiom verge 2 out now um also out now is garden story Uh, Nintendo had a bunch of shadow drops uh, with their whole Indie World Showcase. I need to check that out. It looks a little bit like Littlewood, a little bit like a Stardew Valley. I'm curious in in playing that. I think it's a console exclusive for Switch. Um, Also, they announced that Tetris Effect Connected is coming to Switch in October. Um, And that I had missed this, but Chucklefish is publishing this game called Eastward. That looks very much like them trying to take another bite at that Stardew Valley apple. And that's coming out in September 21st. It looks
1: really cool. Kyle, did you see that? Yeah. Yeah, that looks awesome. And I was like, because they said like in the indie showcase, they said something like, let's check in on Chucklefish. Which implied that it was like. Like, hey, you know about this game. Let's take a look. And I was like, I don't think I know this. Is I this, missed yeah. it completely. This, no, There was that, like, Harry Potter Stardew one, right? Is this
0: is something different? Yes, this is something different. And, like, people in the chat had heard of Eastward, okay. but I had I completely missed
1: it. But it looks okay. great. Totally under my radar. Looks incredible. Looks yeah. awesome. I saw a lot of Twitter reactions
2: of, like, finally, Eastward has a release date. Uh, oh, like, really? People being okay. super excited for this game. So, yeah, I don't, like, I... We must have all missed where this game showed up before, but uh, I well, it's got
0: my like, attention now, and that's yeah, all that
2: matters. Yeah, that art style looks really good.
0: Yeah, I like that quite a bit. Also, just a, a, a live stream reaction. You can go check it on our YouTube channel if you're interested. Um, but just so everybody knows, when it comes to the chat, um, Silk Song, Hollow Knight, Silk Song has become the new Elden Ring. Like the amount of people screaming oh. for new Silk Song info, it is bananas it's like you know the cuphead dlc is somewhere in that window to too. Silk song i think so well, congratulations okay. for impossible expectations to hollow knight silk song
2: i feel like it, i feel like that cuphead dlc is my silk song where it's like <laughs> i i recently played through hollow knight uh this year and i really liked it like yeah. i'm i'm on i'm on that bandwagon of like wanting silk song but i think that cuphead dlc is the thing that's like come on it's like it's a it's a dlc it's like what yeah it definitely feels like they're maybe overscoping it and just draw and all really, the
1: pictures guys just draw all the draw pictures, the yeah. pictures. It's, it's, when you're not drawing
2: draw like that's right. that's <laughs> my advice for drawing that's right
0: um hey also this week we announced our new charity drive our new fundraising effort and to raise money for hopewell music which is a community music school in north minneapolis this has been a long time coming i went over there february of last year And filmed the interviews with them and got to know what they're doing in the school and the entire mission over there, which is to put instruments in students' hands. Like, say, uh, if these kids go to a school where they don't have a music program, it's like, hey, you can come in, you can get free or reduced rate lessons for any instrument you want. Do You want to learn how to play a violin, but you don't want to buy a violin? Of course. Well, here you go. You want to be a student and come in and Kyle, can you imagine being like eight and being brought in like, okay, we'll actually teach you how to play the drums, go nuts. And then we'll actually teach you some basics like it'd be awesome, right?
1: Yeah, that, that's all I wanted was a kid, was just like sit me in front of a drum set. You know what I mean? I, they're not things that you can just find on the street.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so- and, and they mentioned that like, you know, a lot of kids are really into Lizzo and they're like, I really want to learn to play the flute. What, what am I supposed to do? Spend like a thousand dollars on a flute? Like, no, Hold on, are they music? Anchorman fans or are they Lizzo fans? A lot of these eight-year-olds are big Anchorman fans. Um, the alternate <laughs> cut of Anchorman 2, I think, uh, specifically. But anyways, the oh, point specific. is, that's right. If you go to givemn.org slash crossfade, there'll be a link in the description. You can help support this cause and your money goes directly towards free or reduced rate lessons for these kids so we're very close to hitting our goal you can be the person that puts it over the top Uh, and this whole thing is also to celebrate crossfade our music podcast which is hosted by matt helgeson and still going strong this week's episode this is a free podcast by the way you can subscribe to crossfade right now this week's episode i've never been more excited for an episode it is darren korb the composer of hades bastion transistor all the super giant games also the voice of zagreus if you just want to hear zagreus on a podcast it's him reviewing and dissecting uh, Abbey Road from the Beatles and it's Helgeson reviewing and dissecting Queens of the Stone Age songs for the deaf. Like, two unbelievable albums. You know, different ends of a spectrum some would say of rock, but I cannot wait for that discussion between all those people for all those great albums. So subscribe to Crossfade and follow the link in the description and donate uh, because Hopewell Music, um, they have just been flooding me me with emails. It's the most flattering thing in the world because last year I just reached out to them out of the blue. Uh, And so like, hey, do you want to do a charity drive? Like, We don't really know what this video game outlet is, but sure. And then because of COVID, obviously we put the whole thing on hiatus for a long time. Um, But now they've just been emailing me like, oh my God, this community is so generous. This is unbelievable. So they let us know that so far, this is a quote from them, so far the Midmax community has raised enough to cover full scholarships plus instrument rentals for nine students for the fall semester. So... If you're sick of charity drives where you don't know where that money is going, it's just some big ambiguous pot, your money is going to a very direct place here. Because of you, nine students will have full scholarships and instrument rentals at Hopewell Music in North Minneapolis. So follow the link and let's keep that rolling. Uh, Kyle, do you know how this whole thing operates, by the way?
1: Gosh, I, I think it's Patreon.
0: That's right. Okay. It is Patreon. That's right. Patreon.com slash minimax with two ends. Thanks to everybody who supports us and jumps into the community in a big bad way, including Lucas here. He wants everybody to know. He says, Lucas, another new supporter at the $400 tier on Patreon, wants you to check out his YouTube channel, Fatal X Blade. So head on over to YouTube, type in Fatal X Blade with two spaces, Fatal X fatal space x space blade his youtube channel is primarily focused on highly edited reviews on the newest games featuring a short parody at the beginning of each video he just put up a review of scarlet nexus and plans on reviewing aliens fireteam and psychonauts 2 in the month of august uh i love this i love this whole idea of lucas and fatal x blade Uh, he's a self-taught video editor who's trying to get into the world of video game reviews and thought how can i get more attention for this youtube channel I know. I'll jump over to Minmax and have them plug it on the podcast by supporting them on Patreon. It makes the whole circle go round. So subscribe to Fatal X Blade and leave a comment on his YouTube channel and uh, give him some feedback, give him some love uh, because he has shown us a lot of love. So thanks again to Lucas for supporting us over here on Minmax. Um, also, thank you to our dear friends at I Am Eight Bit. They want everybody to know about a Kickstarter Jeffum for a tabletop game. Not just any oh, tabletop really? game. It's a tabletop game called Dust Biters, a two-player card game. And it's from game developers who worked on Broforce, Gentle Jousting, Disc Room, Minute, Nuclear Throne, High Hell, uh, in partnership, obviously, with the Creative Production Wizards at i 8 bit But this is Dust Biters, which they describe as a quick and furious card game about rival car gangs outrunning a giant dust storm. Uh, I played it last night, Jeffem, it really is great um and it's the level of a kickstarter where it's not like this thing might crumble around you're just basically buying a copy and helping fund them at the same time but super simple it is just this amount of cards you know i played it last night with my girlfriend she's like i want to keep playing this because it's the type of like game that we can just bring to a brewery just a handful of cards and you're making a convoy out of all these cards all these different cars here have like a different rule set a different ability like okay this one can destroy the car in front this car can leapfrog a front car to the front from the back and it's a convoy where every turn the last car in the convoy gets destroyed and so you're just going through depending on who gets which cars and figuring out who is going to be the last person standing in this convoy very much inspired by let's say there's some sort of fury road out there let's just imagine they're driving on that it is very much the inspiration but it's genuinely a lot of fun and i recommend people check it out it's called dust biters you can go support them on kickstarter and reserve your copy as well we'll be talking about it more in the future but also thanks to imatebit for shipping out a prize to our community every single week you can check out their wonderful online store overall and use the promo code catfish for 10 percent off everything under 100 dollars um and this week Whoever we deem has the best question of the week will get the Battletoads Legacy Cartridge Collection, which seems very cool. Um, I tweeted about it, and I saw somebody on Twitter being like, they stopped printing these, it's limited edition, why don't you make more, I am 8-bit? Well, they're so generous, they're giving away to our communities, so you all have to buckle up, remember the best question of the week, and that person will win this great prize, and if you would like to win a great prize from I am 8-bit, and also help support independent games media, you can go over to patreon.com slash minmax with two ends. Okay, y'all ready for his community questions? I am. Yeah. So you're saying everybody here is super ready for these community questions. Uh, What's that sound? What's that sound? I go. I gotta go. Okay. Well, Kyle, we honor you and we support you in your decisions. <laughs> and I know you're just going to go check out that wonderful iMapit online store.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And play some Axiom Verge too Yeah. Okay. You cool. know how it goes. All, All right.
0: right. Thanks for being I'm here, clapping. Kyle. You ready? Ready. <claps> Janet Garcia, welcome to the podcast.
4: Hello. Smooth it's magical. As
0: ever. Oh my God. It's all smooth transition. magic. Uh, welcome. Uh, we're here to answer a bunch of community questions. And can you please help us remember which one's very good? Yes. Okay, great. Uh, it should be said, they're all very good. But some, you know, uh, there has to be a favorite, there has to be a best. Um, okay. Manic Pixel Dream Boy writes in Hello, Manic Pixel Dream Boy. That's a new name, right? Um, asks putting nostalgia to the side as much as possible. What are the top 10 culturally important Nintendo characters in the year 2021? Have the likes of Waluigi and Himbo icon Groose edged out Kirby and Diddy Kong, for example? Culturally important is a really interesting distinction here.
4: I interpreted that as like they have relevance, like their cachet has relevance, rather than like they're doing something. So I think it's kind of a... A quieter year for Nintendo. So going off like the vibes, like the energy of the year, Um, Luigi from Luigi's Mansion. Okay. You know, the chaos, the confusion, yep. Yep. the being thrown into a situation you don't fully understand. I think mm-hmm. that's very 2021. Yeah. Um, Peach golfing. I feel like that's a moment. Peach for Russell, golfing? Culturally. Yes. Peach, okay. specifically when she's golfing, I feel like that's a that's a certain vibe. Okay. Slowly getting back outdoors. Right. Auto golf came out this year. Okay. All right
0: but i mean i don't know if mario golf is a cultural juggernaut juggernaut or anything going on here but it could be i mean the game itself maybe not but you you
2: you see that form of peach a lot in okay. the, like games and stuff that's true i mean Which is why i think while Walu- luigi's probably up there luigi I think there are people who probably have just heard of the fact that people have heard of H- Waluigi. I don't think that they're like, oh, yeah, I played him in this sports game and he's really cool. I think Waluigi's just become a thing unto himself.
0: Right. And Edgar Vasquez, watching us live at the backstage past here, is absolutely right. Bowsette. I don't want to say it, but probably in the top 10 most iconic, culturally like, important Nintendo characters. Are they a Nintendo character?
4: I'm I mean, still unclear. last Smash reveal? <laughs> Bows-
0: yeah, we don't know that Bowser isn't going to be this last Smash reveal. So, okay, she's on the list. I mean, honestly, Mario, Link, Zelda, I would say, still top 10ers. No?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, the fish guy from Breath of the Wild maybe
4: yeah that was around. that was a vibe
0: okay um, like hot
4: zelda characters yeah
0: yep hot fish Communities guy. world
4: it's not mine okay I mean, this is just hot fish man it, i mean
0: i know this is a larger conversation about society and culture and jeff i'm correcting me if i'm wrong but is this just a 10 of the hottest characters and that's how you determine what is culturally relevant these days yeah that's that's all that matters
3: now. I think. <laughs> okay. Wh- whoever can get them, s- who's ever hot enough to get into memes, I think.
0: Right. Yeah. And honestly, maybe this is the downfall of Metroid. Not very memeable. Other than other Ram her giving the big thumbs down. Oh, I actually take the back. Why? Why can't Metroid crawl? Is kind of. Or the of...
4: um, what happened to Baby?
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So meme Samus. <laughs> Is it different? Is yes. that I does that take place in a different universe? It's, it's like Zero Suit. Like, it's just like an alternate um, form, I think. Kind meme of Meme like. Samus. <laughs> <laughs> That's the final Smash character. Yeah. Okay, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We have room for one more. But, but the Splatoon kids. I think you're right. Inklings. Wait, are they called Inklings? Yeah. Yeah, Inklings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They got style. They're cool. All right, there it is, everybody. Welcome to the new face of Nintendo. Moving on. Um, Ricky Winterborne. Well, I love it when lists go that quickly and there's no debate. <laughs> I love it and I listed it. Yeah. Uh, Ricky Winterborne asked, do you think we'll ever see a legit Nintendo-published pixel art Metroid again? I want it so bad. If you want it bad, then you know that Nintendo won't give yeah. it to you. That's the first rule Nintendo, I think. I, no, I don't think so. I no. think Nintendo... No. Have they ever really... I was talking to uh, Tim Turi and Dan Riker and Jeff Cork about this. Has Nintendo ever really embraced the pixel aesthetic in a big way outside of, like, merch? Outside of, like, some t-shirt where it's like, look at my Mario pipe or some stupid crap like that. That one Amiibo that
4: that came out of Link? That's the closest. Right.
0: Interesting. Well, it's like, there's splashes of it. Like, okay, we'll have an homage here. Let's have Donkey Kong and Super Mario Odyssey. And there's stuff like NES Remix. But, like, Mario Maker is probably the best example of them making, like, new art
2: Yeah, I think they only really call on the on pixels when it's like, oh, remember this Nintendo game specifically of like, we are calling back to this because this is how this specific game look. I don't think uh, look, uh, I don't think they've used it as like this new game is going to look pixelated.
3: Right, right. And I think there's. Yeah, Yeah. And if if they would, it wouldn't be for a Metroid game like right. i could see that pitch just dying immediately of like no fans want the 2d one and even though these 2d ones didn't sell it's because they wanted us to draw them all by with sprites again right I'm Sure, they just be like you, the, you know what the we're, harder making a, work, yeah. we're making another warrior wear game
2: and <laughs> shut up as much as i think i would like it like that i think that'd be cool i just i think the numbers are just against it like i think as much as we're we're nostalgic for that kind of thing and think it's cool i think you look at like kids who play Fortnite and it's like they're not gonna they're just they just don't have that attachment to it they, they'll think it's like an interesting curio but they're not gonna like i don't think that is like going to sell better because it has like the pixel style so why resort
0: to it i don't know yeah yeah i, I jeff i'm that's you gotta what, tell me what indie
3: games are for that's right what, you know yeah. the axiom verges in those kind of games also
0: i
2: would recommend you play uh another Metro 2 remake yeah it's very good it's it's Distinct enough from Samus Returns that I think you should play it even if you've played that game. And it looks like Zero Mission,
0: so. Well, there we go. Uh, John Higby writes in and says, day cohorts. I have an important question for you to settle the debate between my girlfriend and I. Captions or no captions? My girlfriend swears by them, but I find it so distracting and I can't keep myself from reading them, so I feel like it takes away from the viewing experience. Your input's appreciated. All right. Captions. No captions. No, captions. No, captions.
4: captions. I'm you alone? You used to the captions. Yes. I, As you should be. It hel-
0: oh. Beyond this question, Hanson. No, remember. I know. I feel yeah. that way. It, it, here's the problem. with There's no your, one on
4: this call right now. Who are you talking to? <laughs> with, these, with these captions.
0: Wake up, Hanson. It feels like you you're me? deflating. <laughs> okay, I'm done. It feels like you're deflating a little bit of that story juice by having that ability to read it. I understand. Like, I prefer subtitles when that's an option. But captions... It's distracting no way it doesn't need to be. The only time I like captions on is if it's something like Mass Effect and I want to, like, see how these words are spelled or learn what these new terms are. But I see it as a sign of, like, eh, I'm watching Netflix while also doing something else and I can glance over and read it. Is that why people like captions? No. All right. Defend yourself, Caption (laughs) America. I like
4: captions because it's a lot of reasons. Because I used to be Team No Captions. Um, My brother's girlfriend is who brought captions into our lives because, it's like, I feel like I can't follow along if we if I don't have the captions. And I'm like, okay, well, that's that's fair. Um, but for me, I've loved them for a lot of reasons. One, just being sure that I got the content. Um, and then, two, I like them for, um, especially at home, a lot of times, like, in an action film or something, like, the dialogue is really quiet. And then it's just, like,
0: right. <laughs>
4: super, super loud. And you can never really get that good in between. That's why, like, at the movies, I don't, like i don't personally miss the captions because i don't like literally need them i just prefer them but at the movies it's so loud that i can hear everything that's being said all the time pretty much um so that's why i like captions and then i think it can be helpful for some things like um maybe picking up on like a detail or like clarity on who's speaking Mm -hmm. you know sometimes they like color code the names and stuff too so yeah captions
3: okay i i agree with you hansen that it it can be distracting, and and like the um, author of the email said, like, I do find myself reading it more often than I want to. Yeah. Like, like even when I'm, like, because my, my wife is the captions person, and English was a second language for her, so she, she still prefers having them on screen, even though she's just as fluent as anyone right. at this point. And she can watch it without captions, but she just prefers the captions. And I I even when I try to just watch what's going on screen and ignore the captions, I can't not read them. Yeah. But I think I think the counterpoint to what you're saying of like it, it removes a little bit of the immersion or, you know, like the story flair or whatever. The larger detriment is when people say something and you don't hear what it is. And I think if you if you watch something without captions, if if you had someone next to you in a hypothetical situation where they were asking you after everything that was said, like what did that person say? I bet you would be blown away by like how much you actually didn't pick That's up. That's true. That is true. It would, it would be like you know like thirty percent of the stuff that you say. And I I realize it when I'm at, when I can actually look at the captions and see what they said. It's like you you end up missing so much more than you actually think you do. And that can be a detriment to the story as well. I definitely
2: retain a lot more if I read it. And so like now Mm. it it feels weird even going to like movies recently where they don't have uh, subtitles, which I will say, um, if you are at a movie theater at any point in the recent future, which I may not recommend, uh, uh, they some theaters will have like these little machines that will show you the subtitle that you can put on your like cup holder and stuff. And they'll really kind of scroll subtitles. Yeah.
4: Uh, so I've actually
2: used those a couple times uh, in theaters. Although, like, I, I feel weird because I feel like I can probably watch a movie without them. I would prefer that people who need them, you know, like, uh, people who are hard of hearing, um, use them instead of me. So I would almost say, like, if no one else is planning to use them, let me use one. But <laughs> uh, I, I, I've it's definitely, I've definitely had uh, grabbed one before, and I like, I, I, I know that the whole reading thing, and sometimes you know, like in comedies. Uh, you'll see the punchline before yeah, it's, hated, acted, hated, it's, hated, it's hated, enacted, hated. but yeah, I think the, the benefit is that, like I get to understand the the movie better. Um, I I end up retaining a lot more. Sometimes there is also the rare case where like you'll see an, a subtitle pop up for something that you didn't even hear, where it's just like oh I guess this yeah. is in the script or somehow and you'll like sometimes you'll you'll get bonus dialogue you know uh, like sometimes where it's like oh people are like far away and like it's not meant to be intelligible but you'll still see it in in the subtitles right uh, right which is like kind of a neat bonus
0: all right. Well, I stand by no captions, but these are all valid. I do points. also
2: like that, like you were out number three to one, and it was up to us to defend
0: ourselves.
4: <laughs> yeah. Why did that happen? Yeah. Wait a minute. Oh, okay. This
0: isn't fair at all. Hey, look at this. Another comment or another email, <laughs> as Jeff would put it. Uh, Chris Quavis writes <laughs> look, distraction. in and says, "Hello, Hanson, Jen, and Janet Serial. With old video game stuff becoming more and more expensive as collectors' items, I can only imagine we've all had to kick ourselves for throwing away various older systems and games." My question for y'all is what piece of your gaming history would you go back in time and tell your dumb baby self to be sure to hang on to? Personally, I'd tell myself to keep all those Pokemon cards. Yeah, I guess that's true.
2: I have a, I had, a, a, at one point, a binder full of, like, I think a complete set of the first set of Pokemon cards. And I don't know where it is. It probably got stolen or lost somewhere. I'm pretty sure it ha- I had a holographic Charizard and, like, the the original Pikachu or whatever. I had basically that full set and now uh i don't know where it is i don't know I that a millionaire.
0: yeah i don't know that market that well but when people are talking about how pokemon cards are bonko's expensive now they're just talking about like some holographic gx charizard right or are they talking about like literally that first wave that, holographic that,
2: that holographic first edition charizard card is like probably worth a
0: million dollars or something what yeah probably is it really I, that I, card I saw it.
2: I think it is it is that specific card. I think it was the card that like I think when Jake Paul had his like boxing match, yes. that was the max that he made a necklace out of, because it's like that is the status <laughs> symbol of I am
3: rich and have a lot of
2: money and I'm a nerd.
3: <laughs> also, you should be looking uh, for your Pokémon cards more. What are you doing?
2: I'm pre- I'm like 99% sure they got stolen at some point because like we this this
0: specific house actually had a break-in. It's probably so, just like, popping up sure the printer just,
4: behind you. Like, oh. you had, like, oh my god. Hey, you look, look it's really he really moved.
0: moved. Uh, yeah, I don't think yeah. I've ever had anything that valuable. It's like I wish I didn't get rid of my old PlayStation. That's just like for sentimental reasons, I guess. But did, was somebody secretly sitting on a juggernaut uh, at some point financially? No.
4: No. It was always just <laughs> worthless. <laughs> no. right. I just, I just of... miss my stuff. I just mm-hmm. miss my stuff in general. Like, um, I really wish I had my like, especially like original stuff, especially as like it ages really poorly, depending like the material, like the actual product. Like if I had my original N64 joystick, that would be so much better because I took care of my stuff when I was a kid versus you go to like um, a store and get a used one and like almost none of the, con- the sticks feel right anymore. So just having like the retro stuff as like my original stuff would have been cool. Yeah. Uh, and I try to remind myself that when I'm thinking about getting rid of new stuff now that like, what about future me? Will I ever write this.
0: Right, right. Just take a picture of it and then you're set for everything. It's kind of my new policy. I- yeah, I fire. definitely, I
2: definitely used to flip most of my games, and now I, I really regret it. Even though yeah. that was like what allowed me to keep playing more games, you know. Uh, Same. There's definitely like I've been looking for a copy of Ghost Trick, and it's like eighty dollars or whatever oh. when I just could have gotten it on 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 DS originally. Yeah. Uh, so just a lot of regrets about that that phase of my life.
3: I also, I also like that our parents' generation, for our parents' generation, it was like, my mom threw out my baseball cards, and I, and they're worth a million dollars now. And for us, it's Pokemon cards yeah so i wonder what it's gonna be pokemon for. pokemon
2: is the new baseball i'm next I've, i'm always saying this
4: <laughs> nft things i don't know
0: you threw yeah. away my nft <laughs> um eric clyde writes and says hello minotaurs i don't know if i've heard of minotaurs with two ends yet eric that's very good i like it um i was at a wedding a week ago and i need a debate settled okay let's do this one at a time i'm curious to how you guys would react to this pokemon so, hang on so so hold with your answer hold strong I was at a wedding. a debate settled. Probably 30 people weighed in on this and they need to know the correct answer. What do you call? Don't answer. What do you call a long sleeve shirt that has buttons? Okay. uh, Everybody but Janet, take off your headphones. Let's see what Janet answers.
4: It's just me right now?
0: Yeah. Okay. Hang on. Wait for Serial to take off his headphones. I don't know what he's doing. Okay. Okay. What do you call that? Long sleeve shirt with
4: buttons. Long sleeve shirt with buttons? A what shirt? Oh, God, I don't know. It's, I don't have a word for it. A, it's just a long sleeve shirt a, with buttons. Okay. I have no word for it. I've never described <laughs> blank, it.
0: Blank shirt? A button <laughs> yeah. a button, blank
4: shirt? Oh, like down or up or something?
0: Okay, what do you call it? Is that what you mean? Yeah, what do you call it? Then? I don't
4: call it either because it doesn't go all the way down or up. I'm okay. just wondering why this is taking so long. Okay,
0: okay, okay, okay Janet. Uh, were, this is final round for Family Feud. Janet, you, I guess you can leave your headset on now. Okay, Jeff-um. Okay. Jeff-um, you going to put your headphones on? Jeff-um. All right. Make the J with your hand. <laughs> All right, Jeffum. What do you I call? I really wish
3: we had captions turned on. <laughs> what do you call a long sleeve shirt with buttons? Um, I would probably call it a button up shirt or a dress shirt.
0: Okay, great. All right, surreal, surreal, surreal. Put your surreal. Put your. Okay, what do you call it, surreal? What was the? A long sleeve shirt that has buttons.
4: But they're only at the, the top, Is right? It
0: like they... Is it like the? Is it?
4: Oh, they're anywhere. Okay, well, then right. I did have an A long-sleeve so. shirt
2: with with buttons. Yes. A- I'd probably just call it. I think I would just defaulted dress shirt.
0: Okay. A, a button blank I shirt. I call it a
4: button up. I call it a button up. I thought you were talking about the ones that only have like three buttons on the top.
0: Oh, no, oh no, no, God, no. I don't no. have a word for that. It's just a I guess
4: shirt.
0: dress
2: shirt. I guess if it's like a thing you would wear at a wedding, I would call it a dress shirt. If it's... But I feel like button-ups, I guess, also work. Okay,
0: okay, okay, this is, okay. So, Eric says it was a 60-40 split with button-up winning, but button-down is obviously the next thing. I think I, I had my answer before I I thought too much about this. Now, I think button-down is what I would call this thing. A button-down shirt? I think. Also, Eric, in the chat, says...
4: The shirt that I'm talking about is called a Henley, apparently. The ones that just have like wow. the three buttons at the top.
0: I've never thought this much about shirts and we'll never think about it again. Hey, Swiggity's. Oh. <laughs> if I had to choose one of those, it would be button up. Button up? Button down. But yeah, you're right. I think I would go button up as well. I think. I think I overthought it. I think button up's the way to go. Swiggy sweater Ironically, I think
4: I button it down, though. I think I start at the top and I go down.
0: Maybe that's the difference. Maybe that's why you're some people going, call it who's one. Who's
4: going from the bottom up? <laughs> oh,
0: I go from the bottom up. Absolutely from Are the you, bottom see? up. I, I oh,
4: yeah. Start oh, my gosh. How are you I a real start, person? I start
3: like in the middle and yeah, and then okay, do it simultaneously. I might the same be in time. the middle. I might <laughs>
2: so be <in> evens the... <laughs> and
0: then odds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Diagonal if possible. Hey, look at this one. Uh, Swiggity Smooth left a comment <laughs> and saying, "What video? What's a video game power up item that's supposed to be beneficial, but that you would rather not pick up?" For me, it's the regular grenades in Halo. Why do we need anything other than the plasma grenades? I
3: just want the plasma grenades. I understand. I understand. Oh, I th- I thought he meant in real life. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to say the fire flower cuz you because, don't want white clothes. Well, because throwing fireballs I don't think is would be that helpful in the real world. And also I bet it would be like a spicy food kind of thing where it would burn on the way out.
0: They would burn your hand or your
3: butt. Eh, hey, it's up to you, pal. It's a button down situation. But, but, but what what is throwing fireballs going to be What are you good talking about? In
0: real life? You go to a bonfire and people are, you know, Flicking That's flick. not an everyday. I don't go to a bonfire every day. I would if
2: I could I shoot fireballs at me. That. But it, it's like if you take the if you if it's like a, a cost analysis kind of thing, it's like I'd rather I could just use a lighter for that. I don't need to like fundamentally oh. alter my life so that I have to shoot fire so that I shoot fireballs all oh, the time. You can, you, just okay. so, I, just so that the one time what, I'm at a
0: bonfire a year that it works. Here's what you would do with it though. You go to any lake. And then you, just, rah, and you just shoot it, and you're—it's just like dissolving into the legs pss, and, and making cool but sounds, and not you, hurting you have anything.
3: You're up the whole you ecology. Have, of then this. By,
0: with a little blast of fire. That's fine. Okay, okay that you can do that. that for
2: like five years and then if like the one time you accidentally light somebody on fire no longer worth it it anyway so this
0: is in the off chance that there's a person swimming underwater and they're coming up for no no, no. From i'm the, saying like no, if you can suddenly day, if you you're suddenly set yeah it off. okay
2: yeah if you're just sitting on the couch and and it's like hand me the remote and you light them on fire
0: there's no indication that you're not in control. Like, Mario isn't like... Yeah, ah, you ah. Mario's never you do in stuff control. Fireballs go everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's not you true. You do stuff accidentally you all the time. It's always at exactly the same angle he's so much in control. Yeah, but like, you, you do Does stuff accidentally all the time. Not Mario. And that's all we have for a <laughs> reference point for this. So I'm grabbing that immediately on Jeff Lump's train of thought. <laughs> I'd rather have a cape. Yeah. I'll
4: say for the for the actual question, oh, uh, yeah. a turbo boost mushroom when we're racing in Mario Kart on Rainbow Road. Yeah, I don't want. Okay. Or also, a lot okay. of Mario Kart power ups actually. I got beef with, and you can argue it's because I'm a bad Mario Kart driver, and I'm not going to fight you because I'm not that good. Never really got the drift down. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Yeah. Um. The the you have all the items. What kind of sick roulette is this game where you have all the you know you're just clicking and random things are happening right hate right that power up Terrible. That's, okay. that's
0: definitely a risk yeah that's fair mine's boring it's like in amplitude and frequency there's a power up that slows you down which is cool it's like oh it's just really tough button combo for this you know for the music rhythm game and then it was like oh if you go into slow motion in the song then you can get it but it's like if you're used to doing that at the same rhythm it can throw yeah. you off if you're going slow the muscle memory gets yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, Grizzled Gaming writes in and says, Hey, gang, it's time to play the world's fastest rising game sensation. Ew, gross. I don't know, anyways. We've taken the top 50 highest... G- oh, I get it now. We've taken the 50 top highest grossing video game franchises and adjusted them for inflation. Two franchises will be pitting against each other. You will tell which, fran- which franchise has grossed more. Okay. Um, Jeff, on which franchise has grossed more? Call of Duty or... Madden NFL.
3: Uh, All time. All time. I'm still gonna say Call of Duty. Call of Duty is
0: correct. Fifteen billion versus four point two billion. Uh, surreal. Sonic or Resident Evil. Say Sonic. Correct. Nine billion versus eight billion. Oh boy, Janet. Warcraft. (laughs) <laughs> Warcraft or Dragon Quest? Warcraft. Somehow they say Dragon Quest at 11.7 billion. I had a bet. Ba-
4: when when y'all got it, it correct, I was like, the pressure has mounted. Like, I can't, <laughs> can't deal with this.
0: I, hate but... <laughs> Does that, that includes World of Warcraft subscriptions? There's no yeah, universe. Yeah, I feel like World of Warcraft alone is probably up yeah. there. Yeah, and you got that's Dragon true. Quest 10 subscriptions. But I, I, I guess it's are,
4: destroyed more lives financially yeah. than any of the games listed. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. There's more spin-offs for Dragon Quest. Anyways, uh, Jeff, um, uh, Space Invaders or Donkey Kong?
3: Like original Donkey Kong or all Donkey Kongs? All Donkey Kongs. Kongs.
0: Donkey Kong. Apparently, Space Invaders 14.4
3: billion.
4: Thank you for getting one wrong as well. Yeah. How does that, I I guess, if you're
3: adjusting for inflation and you're talking about quarters back in the 80s?
0: Yes. Because every quarter is like 100 million, is what it's worth now, I think. Yeah. Uh, Serial Pac Man versus Tetris. What is it, Tetris? Pac Man, 23 billion to 1.5 billion. Oof. Oh, Janet. Janet. I'm praying for you right now. Gran Turismo versus Need for Speed.
4: Mm. Need for Speed? Correct! Four billion versus
0: 4.1 billion. So just barely there. Uh, Jeff, I'm Street Fighter or Final Fantasy?
3: See, we're getting into the quarters thing again. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna
0: say Street Fighter incorrect final fantasy is at 28 billion street fighter 26 billion oh. um very diabolical all right surreal. crossfire or halo
2: crossfire
0: correct 11.2 billion versus halo's 3.2 billion Whew, we're all getting caught up in it if you're not familiar crossfire is that uh fps that's very popular primarily in china i believe that that remedy is still okay remedy is still releasing that Crossfire X campaign at some point, I think. I don't know if they talked about that recently, but... Anyways, uh, Sincerely, Eric writes in and says, Listening to last week's conversation on Seinfeld made me think about my time watching the last season of Friends and how emotional it was. Is there a series finale of a show that you all either remember watching live and how much it was talked about stood out to you as a big deal from when you were younger, either culturally or just personally? Memorable series finales. What do you all think?
4: Sopranos. Sopranos. I mean, I didn't I wasn't there when it went down because I okay. watched Sopranos late. Um, but I think just the without without spoiling Sopranos, uh, go watch it if you haven't already. Pretty good. <laughs> um, I think just how like how big of a lead up that was, and then also how much it's still like talked about on whether or not it was a good or bad ending, I feel like that always gets brought up for like disappointing or or good. It gets on both of those lists. Yeah. And then from a personal standpoint, how much I mother, because I had watched Ooh. um that's another one that I, I didn't watch it when it aired live because I liked binging them, even sure. though we didn't have stuff like that. I just got the DVDs and watched them all at once. Um, but I was there watching that show since the pilot episode, which I think aired when I was only like in third or fourth grade. So I was in on this show wow. and had followed it really closely for a really long time. So that was like a big, a big moment for my sitcom history.
0: That's good. I mean, it's recent, so it feels lame to say, but it's just a couple of years ago. Remember Game of Thrones, though? Remember how big of a deal? That finale was I understand people have their complaints about the final yeah. season, very justified, but I think very distinctly of watching that finale at uh, Buddy Dave Clapp's house with Tim Turry and Katie, and we ate jalapeno poppers and no one else was eating them, so I had like three hundred jalapeno poppers <laughs> watching the finale of Game of Thrones. And that's a that's a mood, all right.
2: Yeah. Everyone uh, remembers got got a eating a hundred jalapeno poppers while watching the
0: It kinda of of pop- felt jalapeno. like it, yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, The big one for me was Lost, I think. That was definitely the one mm. that felt like... Like, I, I remember having... I wasn't there when it happened, but I remember, like, I think I started watching Lost and I watched a bunch of Lost... Like, I marathoned it to catch up to the last season so I could be part of that conversation. And I feel like that is definitely a thing that people have just forgotten about. Like, the Sopranos one definitely feels like maybe it was smaller in the moment, but I feel has lingered mm. in the Zeitgeist more so than the Lost finale. Cause I don't feel like people in general talk about Lost much at this point.
3: Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. And another easy answer would be Seinfeld. Right. Yeah. I mean, I did watch that one Which live. Is, yeah ridiculous yeah i feel like i need to go back
0: and watch it because i remember thinking like eh, it's not so good uh when i watched it they, j- they went for too much trying to i'm not talking about the show janet i don't know if you're going that angle that that hot take. No, no, no
4: i love that show oh, okay. i know the hell out of that show y'all ever want to go toe-to-toe seinfeld seen it oof I, my yeah, god it's been a while all right i think i can still bring the heat um i i i love that show but yeah the ending it was cool in the in the clip show way but yeah it just yeah no thanks it was a little but bit silly how do you end a show that's about nothing
0: you can't that's a challenge yeah to resolve (laughs) and i always loved i mean the greatest season of tv is the curvy enthusiasm season with the reunion of seinfeld because i always loved that idea of like okay having a reunion but it's framed through this other show so it's not like selling out but i always loved the idea of like within the world of curvy enthusiasm them doing a reunion episode or season i forget what it was actually for seinfeld and i remember people like the actors are like yeah i guess we could do that just so we have a good finale and Larry David had to be like, we had a good one! We had a good finale! Because he wrote the original finale for Seinfeld, so he's always defending the finale. Anyways, good times. Um, Travis Brinkley writes in and says, Hey, man Max, I just want to say that I love the new charity drive for Hopewell Music. I went to college for music education, so I was pleasantly surprised at the announcement. It can't be understated how helpful these programs are. Thank you, Travis. That's very sweet. Uh, that link... Again, is in the description below, givemn.org slash crossfade. If you support uh, this charity drive at any amount, we'll be celebrating your name and donation at the end of the charity drive. So it should be a a fun, unexpected thing. So add your name to that list, please. We'd appreciate it. Um, Craig Belmont writes in and says, salutations, green cohorts. Very curious. Green. Like Samus's hair. Uh, Mm. Can we let Surreal or anyone else talk about how good the green knight is? Without spoiling anything about this movie, Suriel, don't spoil anything. But why should we be excited about this Green Knight movie that is only in theaters, right? Uh, yeah, I think A twenty four does these
2: things where they'll have like online screenings at specific times. So I think maybe tomorrow, I think they're having a thing where you can buy a ticket for like twenty bucks, and it's like within these four hours, you can just watch it online. Um, but uh, no, yeah, that movie's really cool. Uh, because it's like. It, it, it's like one of those classic Arthurian tales that you probably, well, I read it in college, but uh, a lot of people probably read in high school. Um, but it is one of those movies that feels like even with subtitle, like even without subtitles, I was totally fine watching it because so much of it is in like the visuals of that movie. It feels like, yeah, Um it obviously there are there's a lot of cg but it just feels like a movie where you notice every shot of just like this looks impeccable It it is so uh beautiful as a movie so i i would encourage like that would be like the one movie that if you're like okay before the soul delta thing starts really going into gear uh if your last movie before you stop seeing movies is green Knight, i think it is a good one. Cause it's like, you will benefit a ton from watching it in in
0: theaters. Huh? I it's weird because also that uh, Ridley Scott, I'm sorry, Ripley Scott um, movie is coming out later. That's um, the last duel. That's also like a medieval film. And so it's so weird. They have like two big night movies in the same year.
2: Yeah. But like yeah, that movie is, is so well directed. Like it is, it is one of those things where it is a story that people have like been telling obviously for, for a long time, but it, It is one of those things where you can interpret it so many different ways of like, oh, this is obviously here's the set events that happen in the movie. But like, you know, what what this particular twist on the story means and like, you know, there's a lot of like layered meaning and stuff that benefit from multiple viewings. And like that Patel is really good in it, like the premise. It feels like it lingers on a very simple concept in these really powerful ways. Like I, I love that
0: movie. Well, there we go. I'll check it out. Uh, Green Knight. The name of that film. Uh, Spencer Price writes in and says, "Hey, Benny and the Jets, if you could have Jeffum sing the chorus to that song, that'd be appreciated." I don't know. Okay, what great. Song that <laughs> I oh, didn't know. That, I didn't know that song until college, when my roommate yeah. would always. I, I, sing yeah. Hanson, I just want to point
2: out real quick that yeah. okay. And so every week, Hanson will post a <laughs> list of questions in in our Slack channel that is just like vote on whether you like these or not, uh-huh. and like you know the most popular questions ends up being uh, ends up being on the show. But like he will throw in these curveballs of just like no, I am using my executive over to just push these questions. To be
0: fair time. to me. I wasn't done with this question yet. That was just the okay. intro. It then goes on and says something that you all said you were champing at the bit to talk about, uh, saying, let's talk about cloud gaming, though. More specifically, okay. Stadia. <laughs> See, See, this in was a real thing. Because I'm here for it. I can't breathe here for he's for his coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, hey, we all know the launch was subpar, but the tech has always worked, meaning even though some features weren't available at all at launch, you can still stream games and a fairly low internet connection on all your devices. Do you think cloud gaming is still the future and or has Stadia's unstuck landing pushed back that inevitability? I'm puzzled when I see people complain about storage space, downloads, cost of the next gen consoles, etc., and then scoff at cloud gaming because it's business model. Why do gamers dunk on wonderful things? Is my faith in cloud-based gaming misplaced? Great question.
3: Yes, it is. <laughs> I don't. I don't think people dunk on it because of the business model of it. I, I think it's because it still doesn't work super well. Like that, the lag between what your your input and what happens on the screen is still too high. Have you played with the XCloud stuff yet, though, Jeff? Um, I have. I've oh, tried. really? Well, it was on my phone. Yeah. so... That may have also contributed to it, but I tried with uh, Yakuza, and I was like, "Oh my God, this is coming up! Like, this is actually loading. Here it is. This looks amazing!" And then it was so it was so laggy that it was unplayable. And that's really? a turn-based game, but it was just kind of trying to run around the city. Which again, you know, you're using like touchscreen controls for it and stuff. So I know it's not the it's not the best case, but it's just that technology has a while to go until. We're going to need, like, quantum computers before you're pulling that off.
2: Yeah, or or just not have, you know, American style internet, which is a lot, we just kind of lagging behind uh, a lot of other countries. But I'm thinking the,
3: quantum computers coming first. Okay, so. I All right.
2: have this quantum
4: <laughs> computer idea. I feel like we keep coming back to the quantum computers.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it definitely. Just really want, like, it, no matter putting on, the man. streaming someone aside. Uh, I a big
4: computer, so. I think
2: the big yeah. thing that kind of rubs people the wrong way is that I think these companies always pitch these concepts is like, this is the future of gaming. Right, right. This is the thing that'll like, this is the next step forward. And this will replace every, like, it it feels like, no, in 10 years, we're all going to be only streaming games. And that's because that's the future. And like, like always think forward kind of thing. Whereas I think the xCloud stuff is maybe the most level headed application of it in that it's still not perfect, but it feels like, okay, this is an additional option and not a replacement to what I already have. I think that is that is where this thing is going to thrive. I think that the Steam Deck even uh, kind of struck me as odd that uh, Steam just didn't go for, like, hey, for a subscription fee, you can just stream our games to your phone. Like, I think there is an app that sort of lets you do that on Steam, but I might be wrong about that, but it feels like they would make a bunch of money if Steam, if Steam figured out how to, like, just turn their huge store into a business model and then just had you stream those games. It feels like that's and that's what I would want. It's just like a way where it's like, hey, if I'm out, if I'm not at my desktop, I have the option to just stream the games because you can sort of do
0: that now, but it's kind of really rudimentary. Yeah. What is that service called? There's some Steam. Always, it's like you can do a lot of things that you just never really factor in. Yeah. Yeah, they're not no, really none good of them advertising quite work. Out of
4: their features. <laughs> like th- I remember having the um, what is it called? It's the thing that like it's like a little box you can plug into your TV where you can Chromecast? basically like play. P- no, but it's kind of similar idea. But, like, you can play your Steam games but on your, like, TV without actually, like, having to plug in the PC itself to the TV. Steam Link. I what it's called. Steam Link, yeah. yes. Um, I feel like you secretly knew that and just <laughs> gave me <the> fake answers <laughs> until you got it there. Goes. But, yeah, like, it didn't... It When it worked, it was cool, but a lot of times it was a little bit of a pain, so I didn't end up using it very much. Um. I think, yeah, though, like, Cyril hits the nail on the head with it. You need a fulcrum. You need to kind of ease people in because, like... There will always be people that resist change inherently because it's different. And like, that's not what I'm doing and what I like to do, Uh, even to put myself on blast. I love physical media and like having um, the fact there's like disk lists or like, you know, consoles out now is, you know, a bit of a trip. And one day they might have that as the only option. But for now, they have the option for discs. So I'm going to go disk for my PS5. But you can tell that's slowly going away and no one was really like broken up about it. Most, a lot of people, that was one of the most popular models when you were trying to pre-order one. So I'm definitely in the minority and I will slowly be edited out of the discs and the cartridges and all that, but I'm just going to hold on for dear life until Stadia <laughs> comes for us all.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you saw that headline that just popped up about um, the studio uh, Typhoon Studios that released. Um, oh, Jeff, um, help me that Dan- journeys to a savage planet uh that came out at the beginning of last year. Um former Assassin's Creed 3 Creative Director, Far Cry 4, Creative Director, all that stuff. Um, but they were bought by Stadia. Then they were released by Stadia and they just announced now we're back as Raccoon Logic and it's this basically the same team. And we also own the IP for Savage Planet and all of the tech. And it's just that classic idea of like what is Google doing? So they just like paid a bunch of money to own the studio Absorbed them for a while, realized, eh, Stadia, it seems like we're canceling all Stadia projects, which I'm still waiting to see that harmonics project, whatever form that takes now, probably freed from Stadia's grasp. But then they just spit the studio back out. It's like, how is that How is that in any way profitable
3: for these corporations? Yeah, it's almost like Google doesn't know what they're doing.
0: I think that's it. I think that's it. Um, Fork wrote in, thanks for the insight, Jeff. <laughs> Fork, no, that's perfect. Yeah. No, that's it. Fork wrote in and said, Min Max, uh, some games in Japan have completely different English names or translations than in the West. For example, Resident, is, Resident Evil is known as Biohazard in Japan. Let's see if you can guess the English titles or direct translations for these Japanese games. Psycho Break. Surreal, do you remember what that one is? Uh, no. Evil Within. Evil Within was Psycho Break. Uh, Janet. Triforce of the gods two. I
4: I got I got nothing.
0: Link between I was worlds. To give you the Animal Crossing one. Oh no no no. Um all right, Jeff. Oh I guess not Jeff. Um, uh okay. Jeff um, I'll give you this one. Uh there's a game called Violence Killer in Japan. Do you know what that is? Violence Killer? Yeah, it's very it's on the tip of your tongue. Just say the first thing that's in your mind. You got it. No more heroes. Don't be an idiot. No, it's Turok 2 Seeds of Evil. Turok 2 Seeds of Evil, everybody. Um, Surreal, It's a Wonderful World. The world ends with you. Hey, good job. Way to go. Um, and of course, the bonus movie round for everybody. This movie just came out and it's called Wild Speed Jet Break. Fast and there we go. Fast and Furious, <laughs> Black Widow, Wild Speed, ring. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Fork. Um, Chandler Miller writes in and says, the four of you are going on a weekend getaway together. Oh, I don't uh, know. I forgot to tell you. Um, also, money is no object, and you can go wherever oh, yeah. you want. get However you want. The only conditions are that it's just the four of you, no other guests, and you all have to agree on where you're going. Where are you going?
4: To go to Italy because Jeff and Mom was already down to go. So. Hey,
0: you got my boat. And honestly, for better quest, I'm following the news in Italy all month. And so that would really help if I was actually in Italy.
4: Thor, are you down for this Italy trip?
0: Please Let's be cool. It.
4: Yeah! Hell yeah. Take there that, Chandler. Wow. We
0: stumped you immediately. Come on. Come at the king. Best not miss with these questions. Uh, what do y'all think for a question of the week? I think I think the fact that I'm going to Italy makes me think that last question is
2: probably the winner,
0: right? Yeah, I think Chandler's I mean, paying I'm for it. <laughs> I'm gonna go pack my bags right now. Uh huh, uh-huh. Solid. Um I like the simple uh simple captions, no captions.
4: Does anybody else have a favorite? Um.
0: Uh, Series finale, the franchise, cloud gaming. The
4: power up was kind of cute because, power like, up? most of the answer was not the question.
0: That's true. I feel like
4: that—that's very on brand. It's true.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Jeff, where are you leaning? I don't know. It's too too many good ones. Don't ask me. Ask someone else.
0: Okay, Backstage Pass, where are you leaning? You have to tell us. Okay, surreal. Are you leaning in the direction? Uh. I think the captions one is good, and I like the cloud streaming one. Okay. And Janet, you're, you're ride or die on power-up?
4: Uh, no, I think if I have to pick between, so i pick captions.
0: Okay, let's go captions. John Higby, congratulations. We'll ship you out a prize. It is the Battletoads Legacy Cartridge Collection uh, from I Am 8-Bit. And now it's time for something we like to call Get a Load of This. Jeffum. I'd love to hear what you want us to get a load of.
2: Oh, you cut out there. Uh, I'm guessing you want me to do it first? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I didn't correct. I didn't hear anything you just said. I didn't said. hear a name either. Oh. I was
4: just like...
0: Oh, really? This is him I talking to himself? Like, I so is there yeah, a real like test? the key
4: part was cut out.
0: <laughs> well, I said loudly and proudly that I'd love to hear Jeffem's, I mean, Surreal's take on, on get a load of this. Yeah, so... uh
2: in case you weren't aware, the Olympics have been going on. Ah, um, yeah, yeah. In, and they're in Japan this year, uh, which has caused a whole number of controversies. Not the least of which is when the BBC Sport account tweeted the following: They have an, uh, an image of a, a of a man climbing uh, a rock climbing wall with the caption. Uh, Just when you thought speed climbing was frightening enough, you now need to impress a Transformer, too. At That Tokyo2020. The issue with that is that it was not a Transformer.
0: Oh, no. It was the
2: RX0 Unicorn Gundam in destroy mode. Of course. A thing that everyone knows. Embarrassing. Of course, the tweet has 20,000 retweets. (laughs) Which, Which... to their credit, I'm sure they can't. They probably can't for some corporate policy. That tweet is still up. They did not delete it. The social media manager decided to let it rock. But <laughs> they were dunked on endlessly for it. It is fun. I know that it's like, I guess I have a little bit of sympathy of just like, you're not expected to know everything about everything. No, it's terms of like that. But yeah. Uh, and then they, they they follow it up here with like, oh, we see what's happened here. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, but who would win in a fight in an Olympic battle <laughs> no. between a Gundam and no. Uh, no. in a Gundam? between a Gundam V-Transformer and people we are just like, no amount of, of tampering this down is going to let
0: you live this down. BBC Sport, <laughs> you messed up. I love uh, it. Uh, there's links below uh, for all these yeah. if you want to click Good through and stuff. see them. Uh, mine is uh, kind of simple. Um, it is a video that popped up that doesn't have that many views, but this is what I live for, is under the radar, um, unguarded old Nintendo videos. Like there was a video that popped a while ago where it's like, Here's just like all of the B-roll that was shot in 1991 for this news report on the Super Nintendo within Nintendo's headquarters. And it's just like, you know, just people sitting at their desks for 30 minutes. But that's what I love from that era. I'm a dork, I understand. But uh, this one is from 2000. Uh, and this is an internal video um, where Nintendo employees are being shown the Game Boy Advance and the GameCube for the first time. And like the connection between them. So it's a lot of like cool old tech demos, like real-time tech demos running on the GameCube and stuff. And it's in the uh, American office. Um, It takes place uh, with Michael Scott there. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's very fun. It's an old internal VHS, but there's a link below if you want to watch how Nintendo was explaining to its own employees, like what was cool about the Game Boy Advance and Game, Game Boy out? Did, no, everyone say, was surprised. No, cool. this is not the vision of this company. You're just <laughs> throwing stuff around. Handles are dumb. You're very dramatic <laughs> this episode. <laughs> That's how we're feeling. Goonpei Yokoi would be rolling in his grave. <laughs> uh, all right, Jeff, what do you got?
3: Uh, get a load of this, which neither Hanson nor Serial said, so theirs don't count. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, crap. Yeah. Uh, this is a. You, it's a YouTube review of a podcast service, but really the get a load of this is just the service it's called Descript. Uh, and it's, it's basically a podcast service where you, you record podcasts right in like their browser or whatever, but it uses AI in yet another impressive and creepy way where, um, as you're recording your podcast, Hanson, you should check this out. Actually, yeah. But as you're recording it, it will automatically, um, transcribe everything that's being say being said and show you like in text form everything as you're saying it but then you can go in and if you like edit out a sentence it will remove it from the audio as well so you mm. can edit after the fact all of the text but apparently in the premium version of this which is what's so interesting about it you can actually edit the words too and it will Shut it will up. add in like a deep fake of your voice and and say whatever it is that you're changing it and so this demo of it like they have they have rules about it like you have to read an entire script for it to learn your voice and stuff like that yeah and that's how you give it permission and stuff but the when he actually demos it like it is you you can kind of it sounds like this for everybody else (laughs) (laughs) what a perfect spot for
0: him to break down Uh, well in the meantime it's crazy I don't know if you heard about that debate about the Anthony Bourdain documentary Um, yeah that he uses some amount of deepfake stuff right it like pieces together using his voice like they have emails from him in the movie and apparently in an interview somebody asked like what's with these emails how do you have him reading his own emails and the director's like oh actually funny you ask we don't we just (laughs) deepfaked it and pieced together clips of his voice to make it sound like he's reading his own emails isn't that cool and the world said, no, no. <laughs> that's not cool <laughs> at all. Well, uh, Jeff, I'm stuck in the it. vacuum of time forever. Um, but Janet, do you have
4: one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get a load of this. Um, mine's kind of similar to the serials, except they did end up deleting this. Um, a while ago, tick, like Starbucks' TikTok did a promotion with like Chance the Rapper uh, to have him presumably make a beat i don't i don't know if he made the beat or was given the beat but he like drops his beat and then says like duets are on like you know stitch this with and like wrap over this beat but the beats like really real it's it's something like i've never heard before and uh he got clowned really hard on the internet and they had turned off comments they turned off the (sighs) duets and stitches and, and now they finally just deleted the whole thing
0: what was so bad about the beat
4: uh, I sent it in the in the Slack. I don't know if it's oh yeah, copyright like if you can play it or not. But um, you know what?
0: Let's try yeah. it. Wait, you, you sent got, it on you Slack. You really
4: got to hear it. You really got hear. It. Yeah, in the uh, podcast Slack okay. channel.
0: Let's see. Okay, I'm i bracing for this to be the best. Okay.
2: It 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 does sound explicitly like something someone would make while they're messing around in their room, all
0: high. Okay. Well, let's see. Hey, don't don't judge it yet. Here we go.
3: Let's go. Let's go. <laughs>
4: oh crap! We can't Not stop them. it. Cyberbullying people. means like I even think I even think the mean stitches. I I know he's like famous and stuff, and it comes to drain But I'm like, I don't think you need to. I wouldn't make anything mocking this explicitly, right. but it was it it was rough. It was like, okay. <laughs> sure, well, sure. at this point, what are we gonna what are we gonna do with this? Right. right. It, it doesn't help
2: that like. Here is a, a thing that is supposedly supposed to show off this person's musical prowess, and in like the audio, the recording just quality of the audio <laughs> yeah, is abysmal. <laughs> like in terms of just like I just recorded it in my apartment. We didn't even like somehow have a direct hookup for this TikTok. Like it, right. it was, it was not a uh, good idea to do it the way they yeah. did. Uh,
0: Deepfake Jeffem, do you have one from the
3: community in the Discord? I do. Uh, get a load of this. This one is from Nico, and it's an article. It's an article from The Guardian that's unfortunately titled Rice, Rice, Baby, but it's all about how uh, in Japan they are selling um, like little bags of rice with a picture of a baby's face on it. And it's to send to relatives who can't get together to like see and celebrate a new baby. And so you send them this little baby that's... (laughs) Basically a sack of rice with the <laughs> with the picture of it so that they can hold it. And the the uh, amount of rice is perfectly weighed out to the weight of the baby once they're they are born. Well that's great until the point that you have to eat your baby. Well you don't have to eat the rice, handsome. It's don't, rice. all parents metaphorically
2: eat their babies.
0: Oh,
3: that's a very
0: it. good point. I hadn't thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. Fried, I like mine. Um thanks to everybody who submits uh great questions. Thanks to everybody who submits get a loads of this in the Discord. There's always fun to go through. It's the most active news channel in the world. is in the Discord. To get a load of this channel. It's always fun stuff pop up in there. Um that's it. Uh let's see. We have coming up in the future, we have Trivia Tower. This month's episode Trivia Tower is happening Monday August 16th at 7 p.m. Central. If you were listening to this, you probably know a thing or two about video games, so why not put your knowledge to the test and win some great prizes? Number one winner wins an Astro A40 headset, but we're also giving away game codes for Knockout City, uh, Death's Door on Xbox and PC, um, Loop Hero, uh, Chicory, which is Janet's game of the year currently, yes? Yep. There we go. You can win all of these great game codes just by answering trivia questions correctly and helping to support independent games media at the same time so you can play if you support us at any tier so now is a great time to go to patreon.com slash minmax with two ends and support us and compete in trivia tower or just unlock all those other benefits we'd appreciate it um oh i should mention uh, our guest co-host for this month's episode is tina sanchez Uh, Going back to 1UP, I was a huge fan of hers back at 1UP and EGM. Uh, She then went on to be a producer on the Call of Duty series, Apex Legends, The New God of War. Uh, And now she's back to the indie world um, at Gravity Well. Uh, working with that team as a producer as well. So it'll be fun to talk to her a little bit about uh, her journey through the game industry, but also she knows a ton about video games. So she's an unbelievable good sport so far for lining up everything with Trivia Tower. So thanks to Tina Sanchez. And if you're an old 1UP fan, you can impress an old 1UP member by jumping on and competing in video game trivia. Um, Janet, do you have anything you'd like to plug?
4: Um, I recently did two reviews. Um I did a review of uh 2D top D, which was a uh 2D and top D is actually the, point oh, yeah. of the game. And it's uh yeah, that, that like multi like you have a 2D and a like a um like I guess, a 3D perspective, I guess, technically, like you're kind of activating on two planes the puzzle game. Uh, I really liked it, um, so I recommend it. You can check it out on uh, my site, Pens to Pixels. Uh, it has a company YouTube channel as well. And I also reviewed Button City, uh, and I like that as well. Uh, not quite as much as 2D and Top D, but I enjoyed it. It was a cute little adventure game, and I think if you um, like that style, you'll probably enjoy that one too. Sweet. So, yeah.
0: Love it. Great. And thank you to everybody who has joined the thank you crew over there on Patreon. Uh, so thanks to everybody who supports us at that $50 tier. We thank them and they thank us and we send out actually custom thank you videos to all these people as well but thank you to Fatal X-Blade YouTube channel The State of the Scene podcast Joshua Busey Clemens Zobel Chris I am 8-Bit Zachary Pligge, Ludwig Roque Andrew Yurkowitz Andrew Valla Beatdown Brian Best of the Rest podcast Jawar Hello Mercurico Torreno, Call Me By Your Game podcast Mark Seliga, John Higby PrettyGoodPrinting.com Clint Farley Drew Waranis Steve Bamdad Starkiller Logan Krauss Purebred number 6 Chris Spider Dan Slick Nick Spiral in Your Preetham Yarligata and Dan Vallone. Thanks so much, everybody. Be good, have fun, let's go.